0: Welcome to the Week in IndyCar on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Finally back to some racing. Really bizarre to have a couple weeks off between mid-Ohio, coming into Pocono this weekend, then things start to pick up back-to-back. Pocono, Gateway, Portland, a couple weeks off, then we finish the season in monterey speaking of monterey really happy to say that while i will not be attending pocono this weekend i will be able to drive down to good old WeatherTech raceway laguna seca and starting on thursday cover a motor racing event it's a vintage event so they're not really keeping score but i get to go to a racetrack which will be almost three months to the day since i had to head home from Indianapolis and boy I'm really looking forward to this friends truly truly looking forward to this just the ability to go to a track see friends do things (laughs) uh do some videos do some audio do some podcasting we hope to do a little bit of live type stuff which if I can get it all figured out and and tested beforehand I'll confirm that on social media but really looking forward to heading down for a couple of days there be driving back and forth leaving at about five six in the morning then stopping and being with my wife on the way home each night then turning around it's about 90 minutes up to two out well it can be two plus hours depending on traffic but lots of driving each day but definitely need to be with my girl and just looking forward to this so gonna be down there supporting racer magazine as usual as they launch The first ever racer produced issue of vintage motorsport magazine, an old and very beloved institution, which racer has purchased. So still the same magazine, still the same staff putting it together. Randy Riggs and his group just now under the racer magazine banner. So can't wait. Truly can't wait. Got some special things that hopefully will be coming for you in the way of video and audio and some photos as well. Let's see, IndyCar. Boy, it's been a boring week, huh? Not much going on last week or the week before. <laughs> uh, I won't get into too much here because they are contained in your questions, which will come at the end of the show. So, uh, yeah, let's just say that clarity on our awesome friend, James Hinchcliffe, where he will be driving next year. Um, yeah, clarity, not improving. Uh, it's Cloudy, chances of I guess it'd be Canadian back bacon, not so much meatballs. But anyways, yeah. So we'll get to more of that in your Q and A, which follows at the very end. All listener driven, coming in on Twitter, in the good old book faces. Our guests this week. Been a little while since we've had the Craig Hampson experience. Really good guy. Uh, really, just truly enjoy me some Craig Hampson, race engineer of race engineers working with our man the french fry to my hamburger sebastian Bourdais, craig with i don't even know how many championships under his belt from their newman haas days and just altogether a truly excellent person at what he does excellent human being at explaining things to those who send in questions as you have done a plenty and also just off track He texts me a couple times a week just to say, hey, how you doing? Just keep the spirits up, knowing that things, although we haven't been doing updates, have been not super awesome on the home front. Uh, But anyways, big appreciation for Craig. And so I hope you will enjoy our conversation here. And then we close with young, super young Jedi, Indy Lights driver, Andretti Autosport family, that being Robert McGinnis. One of my favorite questions of the episode came in there where someone asked about mispronunciation of his last name. And, you know, the way we do things here, it's not scripted. We just roll with it. And, yeah, that was a good little laugh. So I hope you enjoy Robert. So we kick off, obviously, with Craig, then move to him. And then I do my best to get to all of your questions in under an hour. I hit the little start clock here, and I just will tell you right up front, isn't happening (laughs) way too many questions but that's in theory uh, the structural part of the weekly show here about IndyCar that I hope works for you so that other than giving you some updates maybe a little bit of thoughts coming out of a race weekend up front a couple little business items whatever they might be we get into our guest usually pretty quickly then our road to Indy guest and then if you're done with that well guess what you don't need to listen to the rest because it's just me answering questions and if you do like it then hey the heck with those people up front who are they uh the yappy guy the indycar reporter guy at the end talking away about whatever it is that y'all enjoy and we also have a not a rant just some soapboxy type observances sent in too. and i do appreciate those as well because you know if I get to stand on my soapbox, since I own it, uh, then you know what? You get to step up on your own, too. So enjoy all of that stuff as well. Last little thing here or two to mention. Got to apologize to our boy, Pato Award. Uh, wasn't aware he was in Japan when I called him. And maybe my phone service wasn't doing what it should, but always get the international Uh, dial tone when i call and someone is somewhere else outside the lovely north america and that didn't happen here because when i hear it i usually hang up immediately because i figure someone's asleep or who knows what and that didn't happen but um yeah i did get a text back from pato at like 4:43 a.m in japan like hey man i'm up uh what's up you want to talk and yeah so sorry to our man young man mr O'Ward, who is in japan getting ready for another round of the super formula series he is competing in on behalf of red bull got some interesting updates from him uh, not a whole lot i can talk about right now but knowing that my man robin miller put out a good silly season piece on racer here monday morning just wanted to check in with pato to clarify a couple of things so maybe i can talk about that next week but it's just good to hear from him and he's obviously hoping to do super well this weekend and in the remaining super formula events and with the shakeup now this week between red bull racing and their junior team toro rosso and formula one with Pierre Gasly being demoted and uh, our young man, Mr. Albon being brought up to the big, big team next to Max Verstappen. You never know. You never know. Could that be the door that kind of sort of opens a little bit for Pato at the end of the year? If Gasly does not really, really stand out in his, I guess, demotion at Toro Rosso, maybe, could... Zach Brown, McLaren Racing, Sam Schmidt, Rick Peterson, all the good folks there take a hard look at Pato as well. I'll tell you, um, we'll get into that a little bit in your Q and a where you're asking about drivers and such, because I have a pretty, I think it's solid, a pretty solid notion as to what might be going on in some surprising things at least for the mclaren side about this new indycar venture coming next year maybe some things that went sideways that they were not anticipating all right the last item for you which we kicked off last week that is all on behalf of our partner our awesome friends in the great white north torontomotorsports.com said, hey, let's give away some stuff. We haven't done that in a while. We did that all of 2017, maybe again all of 2018, if my brain remembers good. And we said, all right, well, how are we going to do this? Easiest way, the most democratic way, was to look through all the questions you sent in last week on Facebook and to go back and find the one that had the most likes. The most liked question hoping it is kind of democratic knowing you could game the system in theory i mean we're talking about a t-shirt and you know beer koozie and stickers and stuff so not exactly uh unobtainable items but nonetheless in theory you could game the system a little bit ask all your facebook friends to like your post more than others i don't really have the time to go through and do auditing i mean over 25 30 bucks worth of freebies so nonetheless taking a look right now using this maybe democratic system, the clear clear winner of the first giveaway of 2019. Courtesy of Toronto com is Paul Hirsch. And Paul, you actually tied with the most likes with our dear friend and benefactor Chris Pantani from Cooper Tires. So you know, you can't really give it to Chris, can we? I mean, that would feel dirty. So other than giving Chris our immense thanks, Paul, you are indeed the very first winner of the who knows of its meritorious voting method. So drop me a DM, send me a something here, let me know, and we will get your address over to torontomotorsports.com. And then we have the three prize packages to choose from. We'll get y'all set up. So thanks again, Paul. And also a note for y'all who sent in questions this week. Get to liking, get to upvoting, get to something, and we'll send you t-shirts and all kinds of free stuff and whatnot from our awesome pals at torontomotorsports.com. With all that said, let's get rolling with our man, the mighty, mighty number 18, Dale Coin Racing honda engineer craig hampson himself craig hampson it is time for your latest appearance on the week in indycar it's been a little while and i can tell by the volume of questions that have come in you've got a whole heck of a bunch so i'm hoping you're ready to make indycar's awesome fan base and our listener base here a little bit smarter
1: all right well i hope i can help uh I appreciate the fans and they pay attention. So we'll, uh, we'll see what we can tell them.
0: Let's kick off here with Mark Curlin, who says with Pocono having three different turns designed after three different tracks, could you talk about the challenges of setting up Sebastian's number 18 Honda for those three challenges?
1: Yes. Uh, as you said, it's a triangle and the three corners were copied off of other tracks. Um, one of which is no longer in existence, which is Trenton Motor Speedway, which is now a beautiful ground for sculpture uh, in New Jersey. So if you're in New Jersey, go see the sculpture. Um, The difference is not just the radius of the corner, but it's the angle of the corner that you have to traverse through, and it's the amount of banking. Uh, As a result, you have different speeds through those corners, and probably more important, you have a different amount of vertical load on the car, so different amount of load on the four tires. Uh, different number of Gs that the car pulls through those three corners, and so the amount of roll that it goes through is different. Uh, net result of all of this, and probably because the car is an aerodynamic beast, um, but also the way the weight transfers around with the four corners, uh, we have a different handling balance uh, through, through the three corners of Pocono. Um, pretty much it tends to be, at least with my setup and my car, that we have more understeer in turn one. And the car is pretty neutral in turn three. And so what you're trying to do is find a setup that balances between those two things um, or make changes that, say, help the understeer in turn one without making it too scary in turn three. Uh, In addition, they're affected differently by dirty air and the traffic that you're following. Uh, I think with Pocono, it's really important you set up a car that has some adjustability now, the nice part is the straights are long enough. The driver can actually do adjustments, uh, be they with the weight checker or the any roll bars. He, he's got time, actually, to do it between the different corners. Um, I would say turn two is kind of a non-factor during practice and qualifying, but it's an issue in the race. Like, you can't always be flat there in the race. But if you are consistently flat in turn two, it does make your race easier because it, I think, sets up a passing opportunity for you.
0: Let's go to Jeremy Charette. <clears throat> And I might like this question the most, not because there's a curse word coming up here, and I'm going to use it because it applies, uh, but you saw the photo that he sent in here.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, that was that was going around the Internet. I saw that.
0: <laughs> yes. So Jeremy says, did cart teams really do, cover your ears, uh, earmuffs moment, shit like this back in the day, pun intended. And he's showing a photo of the old 1990s Tarso Marquez number 34, Dale Coyne Racing Panasonic Swift Ford with 4,000 pounds of manure in bags applied on top of the car, on the side pods, on the front rear wings, etc. cetera. And uh, yeah, so the other note here added with that photo is, here's your blessed old school cart racing image of the day. How do you calibrate load cells for 4,000 pounds of downforce on a race weekend? Go to Home Depot and buy 4,000 pounds of manure and throw it on the wings. Keep the receipts though, so you can return all four the four thousand pounds of it afterwards. So Jeremy says, Craig, what are your favorite quote unconventional engineering stories from open wheel racing like this?
1: Wow. Okay, so let me back up a second. Um, I have never been part of piling manure on a race car to calibrate the load cell. (laughs) I also have never been part of piling sandbags on a car, bags of gravel on a car, topsoil. Um, so thankfully, I have avoided that.
0: There's um, time, though. Are, There's time, what, though.
1: There is time. My career is not over. Um, so what they're doing in that picture is uh, each of the push rods on the suspension, so each corner has a strain gauge, which basically measures the deflection in the push rod, uh tiny little change of electrical voltage, and that goes as a sensor into the data system. And so you effectively know how much load is going through that push rod, and therefore you can calculate how much load is on tire, uh, and you can back calculate how much aerodynamic load there is. Normally, you want to calibrate that at the shop. Uh, And so I think we and uh, we have a pretty good system, I think, at Coin Now for doing that calibration. And I I know the bigger teams uh, have good systems. Um, Pretty automated, goes quickly, uh, doesn't involve bags of manure. Uh, It does actually become a problem when you're trying to do it at the racetrack. Um, So we try to avoid doing that. But let's say you really crashed the car and you ripped two sides of the suspension off and you're putting on pieces that you don't know what they do, you would have to recalibrate. Um, Unfortunately, at the racetrack, uh, we tend to end up with what you would call a monkey pile, which is like six of your heaviest mechanics all standing on the car in various places while you see what the strain gauges read and your scales read. Uh, But we don't really trust that with too much accuracy. So we do try pretty hard to make sure we understand all the pieces we have. Uh, another complication is actually when you change suspension geometries like the roll center height. If it changes the inclination angle of the push rod, it ends up changing the calibration of the wheel load to the strain gauge. And you need to really be careful staying on top of that as well. Otherwise, you lose your way and you really don't know what's going on.
0: You get bad data. Yes, as someone who was part of many monkey piles over the years. As one of the bigger crew members. And also, and here's the fun part, for many years in whether it was a junior formula or IndyCar, as the assistant engineer slash data engineer, I'd be both... Part of the monkey pile and trying to lean over and tap away on the laptop to calibrate, which made oh, things yeah. or use a wand of some sort to hit the enter button. So yeah, I wish someone had taken a photo of that. That that would have been it's, not it's, as it's funny much, as it's four thousand pounds. If but, you
1: spend a little time at the shop and come up with a good system to reliably and repeatedly do it. Um, and this, as for the point of the question, though, like what weird engineering projects have I been involved with? Uh, the list is probably really long, but I guess I'd have to think about it. it. Probably there's there's going to be so many that I'm going to struggle to remember. Were but you the one you- who
0: sent through the request uh, to cart slash champ car to use depleted uranium as ballast?
1: Okay, so yes. But let me Oh there's tell a you about but. that. Oh, there's, there's a but, but. right there's away. But. <laughs> so what you do is if there is something that you want nobody to do and you want to get it outlawed, particularly if it is outrageous, you send in the request and hopefully they do what is logical and they say, no, you can't do it. And in this case, depleted uranium is incredibly expensive. I'm not so much worried about radioactivity. Who cares about that? Um, but for those of you who don't know, depleted uranium is used uh, in weaponry for ammunition against like armored tanks. It's really heavy stuff. It is what you would make your ballast out of if you could, but nobody wants to deal with the cost. And unfortunately, they had failed to spec what ballast could and couldn't be made out of. So basically, you just chuck out the most extreme thing possible, and hopefully, they say no. And then you just don't have to worry that, you know, Penske's out there buying the entire global supply of depleted uranium and going to hit you <laughs> over the head with it. Um, you know, there, countermeasures. Was a, there was, So you're using... There was, a, there was another one. You but were using those
0: countermeasures. I love yeah,
1: it. Yeah, um, Formula One was using helium in their wheel guns for the pit stops. They may still be doing it, for all I know. And because of the lower density of helium you can actually get a higher speed out of your wheel guns. And we were like, oh, my God, helium is rare. The world's running out of helium. It costs a huge amount of money. We do not need to be using helium for our wheel guns. So, again, you write in, you say, hey, can we use helium? And hopefully the series goes, absolutely not. And you must use nitrogen or compressed air. And then we're all good and going again. So uh, some of this is, uh, uh, you know, particularly a Team, Like you ask questions like this because you basically want it put out there that like, no, nobody can do this uh, because there are a lot of teams and a lot of people who use a phrase uh, better to ask forgiveness than permission. So you spend a lot of time really worried that other teams, other people, particularly ones with a lot of resources, have just charged forward and done something and you didn't know about it. And even if you do know about it, you can't afford to do it. So you try and head a lot of those things off politically the best you can. A really good example of that is the inerters in the dampers. Uh, inerters in the dampers showed up in IndyCar before IndyCar knew what was happening. Um, and they were hidden inside the dampers and they were big teams that rolled them out. And so by the time IndyCar realized inerters were happening, they were already out there. And had become somewhat common amongst the teams that had a lot of money and power. And so IndyCar wasn't really able to outlaw them um, because those teams would have gone kicking and screaming. And so they just ended up saying, okay, you can have an inerter." Unfortunately, inerter is really expensive. Um, and unfortunately, you really don't want the inerter inside the damper at all. You would rather them on what we call the third springs. Uh, so they act only in heave. Because right now, inerters do all sorts of terrible things when you uh, go across a curb or have a one-wheel bump. Uh, They're a real black box and very confusing. Um, It would be much better if we just had them on the thirds, like Formula One does. And I don't know if you noticed, but then you would only have half as many inerters. It would be much cheaper. But inerters found their way into the series before anybody really knew what was happening, and then they couldn't get rid of them. They're like a virus. Um, So we have inerters now.
0: Coming back to helium, one of my, no, I shouldn't say one of my all-time favorite use of helium in motor racing is something that I happened to learn that a local uh, shop at Sears Point, while I was working there growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, working at Fife Ridge Racing, uh, one with some ties to a certain Jimmy Vassar, who won his 1986 scca formula ford championship at pfeiffer ridge um just down the row we have the had the awesome Huffacre racing they were very very powerful in imsa at that time running in the camel lights series imsa had very lucrative pit stop competitions at the time i believe it was uh photocopy or something like that or maybe kodak sponsored it whatever it was there was serious money to be earned in these put on pit stop competitions at each round and so they'd pick a variety of teams that would go head to head the winners would move on from round to round paid a lot of money and (laughs) came to find out that our friends at Huffacre Racing were looking for every advantage so they had a special set of wheels and tires set aside for their pit stop competitions and those things were inflated to about 9,000 psi of helium to make them lighter uh, coming off the car and going on the car so that I thought was a fairly smart way to use the beloved gas in that example My
1: gut reaction to that is that yes, there probably was a weight difference because there is going to be some buoyancy, but you haven't changed the math. Um, I don't know. I don't see, I personally don't see that helping that much.
0: Well, but, they did and they um, won a lot. So and
1: they won a lot. So there you go. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think everybody knows we don't put air in our tires. We put nitrogen in our tires. And the reason we don't use compressed air is that air has a a percentage of water in it. And that percentage of water can vary. And when water warms up, uh, its expansion is different than air and it's kind of uncontrolled. So we really need to set the tires at a certain cold pressure so that we get back a certain hot pressure on track. So we use pure nitrogen because we can better uh, predict the expansion of that with temperature. Um, and even still, sometimes I miss. Uh, I miss pretty bad at mid-Ohio because, you know, you'll have done warm-up when it's cold and then it's hot during the race. Or the driver runs a much different speed during one kind of lap than another. Sometimes the race engineer misses and that's not helpful. Uh, but uh, yeah, all the, every little detail counts.
0: If there was one thing I was good at as a race engineer, tires, for whatever reason, I seem to understand. Lots of other things I didn't. Tires were my friend. Let's go to John Karasinski. He says, Craig, what is your involvement, if any, in a driver's silly season? Can you share what the silly season is like for engineers and other team personnel? And that, I think, is a really, really interesting yeah, question. Interesting he says, question. Once drivers oh. are settled, are the top teams just as aggressive at pursuing other crew members?
1: I don't know. I mean, obviously, the driver is far and away the most important thing. You know, um, if you look at the money like Alex Rossi got, say, wow, that's a lot of money. But then you could back up and say, but if we spent that amount of money, would we make our car that much faster that we could beat Alex Rossi even with a lesser driver? And sometimes the answer to that is frankly no. And so it's like, well, our best R&D money spent is just to pay this super fast guy who can drive a really neutral car. Um, so. Driver's most important thing for sure. But crew members are really important as well. And it's not just the race engineer. A good team manager is important. Having a good refueler is important. A good chief mechanic is a super important deal. And so if there's somebody that you think can bring something to the team and that is willing to at least consider your offer and you have the kind of budget to go try and get them, go for it. Um, Because I think uh, it's a people business. You know, okay, you can have your stuff and your engineering tools and everything, but the fact is, it's a team. Everybody's working really, really hard, and you need people who can get along, and you need leaders, and you need people who are really bright and capable and have lots of good skills. Um, so, if you can get a really fast outside rear tire changer, and it's within your budget, go for it. Uh, so am I involved in silly season? Like, uh, you read on the internet? No, certainly not. Um, but the engineers, I think are fairly regularly getting phone calls from other teams saying, Hey, what's your deal for next year? Would you be interested in moving? Um, and for that reason, engineers have contracts with, uh, with the teams, just, just like a driver would. Um, you know, they're not super complicated contracts, I don't think, but they basically say, hey, I agree to work here for X number of years and you agree to pay me X dollars for X number of years, you know? And so, you know, for me, when people call up, I just say, hey, you know, I'm I'm signed with Dale. I'm signed with uh, Vassar and Sullivan. I'm committed to Sebastian. Uh, we've got our own little unit here and we're going to try and do our thing. Um, you know, I, I I must be honest that I came to COIN because Sebastian reached out to me. You know, I had been working at Andretti's in an R&D capacity, uh, but Sebastian said, hey, I'm trying to put this deal together with Dale. I want to try and make it something special. I want to, you know, try and have a good sort of last hurrah towards the end of my career. Are you willing to come work with me on it? It could be good for you because they're in Chicago and you live in Chicago. Um, you know, so Sebastian did reach out to me uh, to, to, and put that thing together. And my previous race engineering job, when I ran Hinchcliffe at Andretti's, you know, I had been at Newman Haas. I was still at Newman Haas, even though they weren't racing anymore. Uh, and James called me up. He said, my race engineer just quit. I don't have a race engineer and it's February. Can you help me out? What can you do? Um, and I said, well, at least we can talk. And I talked to Andretti and, you know, they, they were able to make a case that like, Hey, it'll be a good thing and you can still work from Chicago. And sure enough, we won three races, had a pretty good year. So, uh, you know, is Roger Penske ringing me up? No, absolutely not. But I think we all do talk. Um, and everybody keeps their ear to the ground to know what the future might hold. You know, I I think as you, you see as a fan teams sometimes come and go, and you always need to be, little on your toes with regards to that. Make sure you don't get left without a chair. Um, Now, the flip side of the silly season uh, is how is the team doing if the driver that they currently have is involved in silly season? And I I think the team, the people, they kind of suffer that. Uh, You know, if you look at Rossi's guys at Andretti, I'm sure they were really worried for all summer long and all spring that they were going to lose Alex Depenski. And that got talked about week in, week out. I'm sure it was a distraction for everybody. The guys are like, oh, man, if we lose him, who are we going to replace him with? I mean, that had to be tough. Um, Similarly, at Penske, they're like, oh, it says here that we're going to sign Alex Rossi. If we do that, it's going to have to be a fourth car because Simon just won everything in the month of May. So we got to add a fourth car. How are we going to do that? Where are we going to get the people? Um, it it affects you from all angles just reading these rumors on on racer dot com, other internet sites. Uh and then like if your driver is thinking of leaving, uh that's hard too because you know you you kinda all want to view that you're in the foxhole together. The mechanics always are pulling as hard as they can for the guy and working as hard as they can for the guy. And if the driver has signaled that he'd like something better or different, um it's hard not to take that personally in a way, you know, like if, if you, if you, I don't know, you were taking a girl to the prom and then you found out she was asking another guy if she could go to the prom with him, that's going to hurt your feelings. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there's, there's a, a lot of emotion involved in all this. And I think we all breathe a sigh of relief when contracts get signed and there's a, a, a sense of stability. I think what everybody wants is stability. I know my job will be here next year. I know who my driver is going to be. I know who my crew is going to be. And now we can just get on with the work that we know we need to do to try and win motor races.
0: I know it's a a very dated reference, but I recall and what comes to mind immediately on the subject was, I think, the 2001 IRL season. uh, Davy Hamilton had gotten... Really gravely injured at Texas. And so, for the rest of the year, in our Sam Schmidt Motorsports entry, cycled a lot of drivers through. And one of them was Jacques Lazier, who had shown some potential, but by no means uh, was on anybody's radar as a future talent, someone really to go after and acquire. And he just made great, great connection with our team. Very solid guy, very quick, really had a a breakout over a a brief number of races with us. We sat on pole at Richmond, and it was was troubling knowing that he did not have a reputation before he came to our team. In a short amount of time, established a reputation, and before the season was even over, we had heard and learned that he would be heading to John Menard's big team at the end of the year and similar to this the hey i thought we were going to the dance together what's going on uh it does not help or feel great and sometimes can complicate things a little bit when you're staring at the guy who's about to climb in the car and you've got two or three races left to go and you know he's i don't want to say can't wait to leave but has already made a decision that says you all aren't good enough for me i'm going somewhere else and bigger and, yeah, it's a very real thing where, in theory, we're all professionals and such things would never bother us. And you go, no, it can. It really can. All yeah, right, pal, really? Yeah,
1: but on the other hand, let's say, you know, you're friends with Jacques Lazier. Um, you want good things to happen to him.
0: Oh, of course. Of and, course. Uh,
1: you know, particularly, like, if a Pensky or a Ganassi calls, you kind of look at him and you go, yeah, dude, you got to take that. You just got to, because it's, you know, the peak, it's the pinnacle, the level of resources, you know, the winning tradition, uh, the really nice hospitality unit, you know, like in some ways you got to step back and you got to go, look, I, I, I want good things for the people I care about who are my friends. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to say, you know what? I totally get it. That's the right decision for you, for your family. I'm setting you free. And I think if you look at us here at Dale Point Racing, in the case with the 19 car, I sort of feel like some of our role is to try and develop a new talent. And if we have done our job, that talent gets recognized and pursued. You know, uh, Connor Daly uh, drove here at Coin, uh, did very well, unexpectedly well. And then he got a paying job at Foyt. He didn't have to pay to drive anymore. He didn't have to drive for free. He got a paying job. Uh, ed jones drove here um did very well you know should have won rookie of the year at indy right um and did well enough that he got recognized by chip ganassi racing and then he got a paying job to go into the number 10 he didn't have to bring sponsorship anymore they paid him money so there there has to be a team or some teams that serve that sort of purpose and while I am disappointed if, you know, you invest in a driver and, and you, you help teach them through the year and they show ability and then they move on. On the other hand, it means we're doing our job because we took somebody who people didn't necessarily expect to shine and they, they do and they shine so well that somebody wants to pay them money. And I can't be upset about that. And I, I think Dale recognizes that, that he has served that role for so many people. I mean, if you look at the list of who's driven for Dale, there's a quite a few people where you're like, "Man, I don't even recognize that name," but there's quite a few people on that list that's like, "Hey, that's actually really impressive." I didn't realize that he got his start here. Um, so I think Dale has been very important to the sport in terms of providing that launching platform for some of the name drivers.
0: Completely agreed. I just appreciate the fact that you opened up the the heart of the topic here, it's relationships. I realize it's sports and it's all kinds of higher achievement, but this is people. These are emotions. These are feelings. These are relationships. And although none of those things matter in theory in the heart of competition, it's hard to ignore how uh, those things can affect a team. Let's move on to hybrid systems. Craig, we've got a couple of great ones that have come in here, starting with Horatio Frey. He says, we've heard from the fans <clears throat> about the upcoming hybridization, the electrification of IndyCar. What are the engineers and teams saying? I'd love to get your thoughts about where IndyCar is heading in 2022 with some form of KERS unit.
1: I guess my, my first point is I've received no memo, no technical update, no official anything other than what I've read in the same press releases everybody else has read. That's, that's all I personally know. Um, clearly a hybrid car is the way of the future. I personally drive a hybrid. I drive 49 miles one direction to work in the morning. I drive 49 miles the other direction in the evening and I'm able to charge up the battery in my hybrid. And on a good day, I can make it all the way without having to use any gasoline. Uh, When it gets cold in the winter, the range does go down and I need like two miles worth of gas. So the hybrid is the way everything is going. As a result, that's what the manufacturers are interested in. And ultimately, this sport does need good supporters like Honda, like Chevrolet. And for sure, the sport would love to have a third or even a fourth OEM involved. So if the series believes that bringing a hybrid into the system makes it more likely to keep our existing manufacturers And attract new manufacturers then i am all for it it it's needed i think nascar is going to have a hybrid system at some point soon because the manufacturers are asking for it imsa sports car racing definitely is going to have a hybrid system um so i i think it is the way of the future and the manufacturers want it so we absolutely have to do it like i said i haven't received any technical updates as to how this is going to work um The ability for the car to restart itself is pretty exciting, because I think it will reduce the number of red and yellow flags during practice, during qualifying, during the races, Uh, and I'm all for that. Uh, Man, we lose a lot of practice time due to red flags. It's really, you know, you only have like a 45 minute practice, and you lose 15 or 20 minutes of it due to various spins and car stoppages and red flags, and you're like, man, I got nothing done. So if we can have cars that restart themselves, that's that's great. Uh, certainly on the road and street courses, it's going to work like formula one, where you harvest energy under braking and then you can, uh, release that energy on acceleration. Uh, I don't, I mean, our system's not going to be nearly as powerful as formula one. It's not going to be this like custom super high tech system, like formula one, because we, ha- we have to keep costs under control and we can't have an army of engineers involved in the thing. I don't quite understand how it's going to work on the ovals. Um, because there are some ovals that we never break. So when do you harvest the energy? Uh, And I am sure IndyCar has a plan for this or is working on the plan for that, but I don't know what the plan is. And maybe it's the kind of thing where you strategically say, hey, I'm willing to go a little slower right now and take 2% of the power out of my uh, combustion motor and charge up my battery because five or six or seven laps from now, I will then have a fully charged battery and I'll have that extra squirt that I can get guy this guy when we hit that group of traffic. Um, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's used uh, to drive up and down pit lane. Like they do it in the mall. I don't know. Um, but in the end, if this is what keeps the manufacturers interested, makes us relevant with regards to the road cars, uh, brings a new OEM into the series, I support it.
0: We've got Craig Hampson's vote, which is very important. Let's continue on the hybrid
1: I'm glad you think it's important because I don't feel very important a lot of
0: the time. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, I, look, it's all an act on my end. Uh, on yeah, a daily basis, I'm reminded about here. It's
1: good. <laughs> inconsequential,
0: I am. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Mike Jablow. Says, Craig, what do you think about engineering challenges? Well, the weight of hybrid components, battery, electric motors, and whatnot, what do you think that might mean for car setup? And should also mention, we have heard nothing about installation. I, I, in terms of final, well, heck, I don't even think they have a, a, the first quote out for it. But from what I hear, Mike and Craig, and you may have heard this as well, most of this system could be positioned within the bell housing, uh, which would be a u- somewhat unique execution. But nonetheless, any thoughts just from an engineering and vehicle dynamics standpoint of if we do indeed chuck a whole bunch of weight towards the bell, back towards the rear axle compared to in most instances say in prototypes or even formula one where the battery itself at least is positioned at the back at the bottom of the tub a little more centrally uh, located for at least that portion of the system
2: yeah
1: i think uh the 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 twitter questioner is getting sort of way ahead of where i am with the racing right now uh, because that's 2022 and 2022 is supposed to be a new chassis. It's a new car. It's supposed to be a new internal combustion power plant because they're going larger displacement, higher power. Um, so if you just add a, a hybrid system to it, and but you know you're doing it, you can design around it and you can plan all the stuff out. Uh, so if the designer of the car, who I assume to be Delara, but maybe I'm guessing, um, if they account for all of this, It's fine. Um, I'd like to actually think we can maybe try and bring the weight of the car down because year on year on year, the cars are getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. A lot of that is electronics, and then a lot of that is safety. But I think with a a redesign of the car, 10 years after the first car was designed, with improvements in technology and modeling, we can maybe get the car somewhat lighter. Um, But the weight that I'm actually worried about right now is the weight that we're going to get next year. Which is the aero screen.
0: Yeah, that's that's uh, the other thing I was going to add.
1: Surrounding. Yeah. Um, You know, so that thing is not going to be light. And it's not going to be light because it has to be able to stand up to some pretty impressive forces, like, you know, a tire hitting it going 200 miles an hour. So it's going to have a very uh, beefy titanium frame, and then it's got the optical material surrounding it and then you need the tub modified for all the locating points for that um it's going to add a lot of weight that weight is going to be towards the front of the car so it's going to affect the weight distribution of the car and that weight actually is going to be pretty high up as well so it raises the center of gravity of the car and the net effect of that is there is more weight transfer from the inside wheel to the outside wheels going around a corner and that's going to reduce your level of grip I think in particular, the weight distribution change is going to pretty dramatically affect how the car handles. I expect it would add a lot of understeer to the car. Um, it, may be, it may be that uh, Firestone has to design all new tires, um, or at least all new front tires, to be able to deal with the changes that are going to be coming from the aero screen. Now, the good news is these discussions have been taking place. IndyCar is on it. They know figures and values. Firestone knows that they've got work to do on this. Um, But I expect that every setup I have this year goes in the bin, in the shredder. And we're going to have to start all over again next year because that's a lot of weight and it's forward and it's high. And I think the tires are going to change. So everybody enjoy your 2019 and then put your thinking caps on for 2020 because I think it's all different. That's me.
0: Do you like the idea of this? And I ask because you happen to engineer a certain Frenchman who really, really, really prefers a car that has understeer compared to a lively rear. Granted, it's not that he craves quote understeer. He just really wants the rear to be stable so added weight to the front of the car doesn't necessarily stabilize the rear, but just trying to think forward a little ahead. I don't know um, if Seb's been totally I, happy I, this year, but...
1: I, I think uh, it totally depends upon what happens with the tires, to be honest. Um, you know, a lot of the characteristic of how the car behaves is built into A, the aerodynamics, and B, the way the tires behave. So I'm not quite sure what we're going to get. I really don't think having... The aero screen is going to be a positive or a negative for Sebastian one way or the other. One thing we have been talking to IndyCar about is that um, Sebastian wears glasses. And as far as I know, he's the only driver who does drive with his glasses on. And we have asked him to please get Sebastian in a prototype with the aero screen as soon as one is available, just to make sure there aren't any optical issues relating to the glasses and the screen and that sort of thing. So that is a a question that is in our mind right now. I'd hate to, you know, end up with a forced driver retirement just because he wears glasses, you know? Um, Well, maybe there's a
0: sponsorship opportunity here. Lens crafters maybe could do an actual
1: shaped prescription. uh, Aero screen for Seb, take take the glasses off. And that's less weight. See,
0: we're so smart.
1: Um, but a- am I supportive of the arrow Screen and the Halo structure that supports it? Absolutely, yes. And that's because I was good friends with Justin Wilson. And the, every other major series in the world, Formula One, Formula E, Formula W, Formula Three, GP2, GP3, they've all got the Halo. Uh, relate to the party, honestly. It's not from a lack of trying, but relate to the party. And if we can prevent one more injury, prevent a death, it's worth every bit of effort and every bit of money. Um, You know, I, I, I miss Justin all the time and what we are making for next year would have saved him. So I'm supportive.
0: I'm not a big fan of the month of August. And that has nothing to do with all the great people and friends we have who were born this month. But knowing that one of my closest friends, uh, Mr. Wilson, uh, is no longer with yeah. us. Uh yeah. knowing And then, and, you know, and, and we had Rob,
1: Robbie's accident last year. Now I think Robbie's accident is a different deal. I, I honestly don't think the error screen would have helped a ton in that. Cause I mean, that car just got shredded by the fence and the fence poles. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact is when you have a crash going faster than 200 miles an hour, it's a big crash. It's a plane accident, you know, and uh, it's some hard work to keep the guys safe during something like that.
0: Let's pick and choose from a final few questions here, Craig. I know you are trying to get ready to go win Pocono this weekend with the French Friday My Hamburger. Let's go with Jim Johnstone, who we have to give props to for coming up with my favorite acronym in motor racing now. After the announcement last week, Craig, of Aero McLaren SP, he decided to reconfigure those letters and turn it into spam. Um, Jim says, Craig, if you were given carte blanche to design the next IndyCar chassis, what features would you want to see included, and would you want to stay with the spec chassis or open it up to multiple suppliers?
1: Oh, gosh, I'd love to have multiple suppliers, but I don't think the sport can afford it. You know, because with that comes R&D and amortization of development costs and tooling costs. I I think those days are, unfortunately, I think those days are gone. And it kills me because I want to design, just have a free hand and just design what you want. And if you think you can make it better, go ahead and make it better. But I I don't think the sport can handle those costs. Um, Free hand, I definitely would go with uh, cockpit protection for the driver. I would try and make the car lighter because honestly, for what an open wheel car is, I think they're getting kind of bloated. Um, I personally would want a seven speed gearbox because honestly, we need a seven speed gearbox for some of the top speeds we're hitting, but also the first gears that we want to run. And I think all the race engineers want a seven speed and all the owners look at it and say, yeah, but that's one extra gear I have to buy. Um, and so we've, we have a six speed. Uh, I, I think the the hybrid system is a good idea because, uh, manufacturer involvement. I would like to see the car have some serious aerodynamic development in a wind tunnel before we make it. Um, the, the car we race, man, it's aerodynamically actually really simple. Uh, the underwing is very simple. If you were to compare the underwing, say from a 2002 Lola, you know, almost 20 years old and compare it against what we're running now, you would think the 20 year old car is the newer car. Yeah. And uh, there's some, some reasons they're doing that is because of the, the flyaway, the the nose up flip over issue that they worry about at Indianapolis and the high speed ovals. But the car is aerodynamically pretty unfriendly, I think. And the fans may like that because it makes some of the driving spectacular and it means drivers make mistakes and those are passing opportunities. But it's a hard car to set up, and I'm pretty convinced a lot of the issue is built into it inherently aerodynamically, Um, and it's exactly the kind of thing that if we were back working with a manufacturer on a year-to-year basis and bringing out a new car every year, we would be saying, look, the car has the following problems, and we think they're aerodynamic, and let's go into the wind tunnel, and let's work on it to try and solve those problems. Not necessarily make more downforce, though you always want to do that, but let's generate that downforce in a friendlier manner or um, more usable manner. Um, you know, we joke a lot with Sebastian about friendly front grip. You know, I want more front grip. You just can't hurt the rear, you know, so it's friendly. It's magic. Where did it come from? How do you find it? If you can find friendly front grip, you will go faster. You will get rid of the understeer without causing any additional rear issues that is available in doing a good job with the aerodynamic development of a car. It's just a spec car. Same for everybody. So we don't worry about it too much. So if I had one thing I'd look for, could we maybe work on the arrow a little?
0: Definitely something that needed attention right away when the car came out. Uh, Weight distribution needed attention when the car came out. A lot of things needed attention I'm hoping that in what does come for 2022, Craig, to your exact point, a lot of time that wasn't spent with the current car, a lot of time is invested in all of these things, so that what emerges isn't a mystery or less of a mystery than what happened with the DW12, which required yeah, and, and, a lot. And I of, think we, we I'm, need we're to. Not
1: The people who are running IndyCar now, the people who are running IndyCar are not the same people who were doing it 10 years ago. Um, They're asking a lot of questions. They're trying to think the technical problems through, for sure. As things get flagged up, I think there's a a good communication between the teams and the series in terms of saying, hey, we just thought of this. Have you guys thought of this? And a lot of the times they do come back and say, yes, we had already thought of that. Um, But yeah, I think everybody understands that they want to put the best possible product out there. We do need to keep in mind that there are costs involved, and passing those costs on to the team owners isn't fair. They're already going to have to outlay a huge amount of money, right? There's going to be new engine installation kits. There's going to be new cars. There's going to be a KERS system. It's going to be all new stuff. Like the winter between 2021 and 2022 is a really expensive time. I'm a team owner. I'm already starting to save my pennies, right? You're, you're, you're hoarding your war chest to get ready for that. So to say, oh, yeah, we're going to do, you know, 30 days of wind tunnel development on the new car, well, that's going to cost a lot of money. And who is paying for that? You know, is the series paying for that? Is the chassis manufacturer paying for that? Are those costs going to be passed along to the owners? Or maybe we just say, look, that's just not really that important for the show. So we can't spend that money and you're going to get what you get. It's not up to me to decide, but I'm fully aware that things are expensive
0: couple more for you here, Craig. Ben Tyler says, if you could have an aerodynamic device named after you, what would you want it to do?
1: I would want it to make friendly front grip somehow, (laughs) some way, because then I could make a billion dollars and hand it to every team, and I would just retire and go to an island somewhere.
0: I mean, we already have a Hanford device, a Hampson device. Yeah,
1: you know, I I know Mark Hanford, obviously, from our times at newman Haas, and he is just He's like, the thing I am the most famous for is a device which specifically slows down a race car.
0: <laughs> but I like the fact that we got the Hanford taking care of the rear wing. A Hampson at the front makes sense. So I mean, there we go. It's fate. It's fate. Uh, Jermaine, uh,
1: all we need is a front wing that makes friendly front grip. Maybe adds a little aero balance with steering and put it on and off we go.
0: Or we just... Drop bags of manure, one of the two, on the front of
1: the car. Yeah, we'll pile some manure on
0: the car. Uh, Jameen Tuttle says, from the outside, it feels like the Dale Coyne program is close to a really dynamic season with multiple wins and a championship-contending effort. Given the talent behind the wheels and on the timing stand, does it feel like money and the testing and R&D that comes with it is all that is missing?
1: All right, I'm going to preface this one by saying I really admire Dale and Gale Coyne for doing it on their own the way they have for so long.
0: They're the only ones in IndyCar doing it like they do. Dale is the
1: last remaining champ car team, right? The other ones had all already given up and gone over to the IRL. Uh, Dale, I think, is the third oldest team overall after Penske and Foyt, if I got that right been around a long long time and he's doing it out of his own pocket so for me to sit here and say oh yeah if i just had another nine million dollars of dale's money i you know things would be going better well that that's not terribly fair because if it was my money i wouldn't be forking over nine million dollars or whatever it is having said that we are the little team that could. right um our shop is small our shop is very cluttered uh our trailers are older we have uh, a very small staff Uh, some of the people you see with us on a race weekend are fly-in folks and aren't here during the week the engineers who go to the track are the same engineers who do the r&d there's there's nobody back at the shop doing anything while we're out racing Uh, we do it with fewer truck drivers so cars have to leave earlier and, and come back later Uh, Sometimes we don't even get the car back to the shop in terms of doing the service and we have to do it at a racetrack somewhere. All of that makes it harder. Um, Every, like I I always say like, this is a great team. It's a great group of people. Everybody's very skilled, very bright, works super hard. Like I think if people at some of the other teams knew the hours that the Dale coin guys were putting in, they, they'd be shocked and stunned. And they'd be going, why are you doing that to yourself? You know, having said that we just, you know, could use some more of them. Um, but there's economic realities. You know, I am sure if a really big giant sponsor dropped out of the sky and said, hey, Dale, here, I'd just like to write you a $10 million check, Dale would take that and run with it. And we would scale up and do the things that we know other teams are doing and, and the things that uh, would we feel like, you know, would help us run better. But, um, you know, I, I, I think we actually punch... A little above our weight to be honest i think you know I'd, I'd like to win every race sure i'd like to qualify in the fast six all the time sure but i think if you look at it you know if you compare the other teams who run with the same manufacturer as us we're generally in front of one of them on a weekend if not two of them on a weekend and if you compare you know the the resources that they have in terms of engineering and simulation stuff um, you know, staff back at the shop doing subassembly, extra parts. Uh, you know, I don't want to sit back and get complacent and say, Hey, we did a pretty good job with our eighth this weekend. But on the other hand, if you look at it and you say, you know what, in some ways we should be pretty proud of what we've been able to accomplish. Um, do I want more? Absolutely. Do I always go up to Dale and say, I want more? Yes. Is he tired of me doing that? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, But it's a really good group of people, um, and they deserve a lot of credit.
0: Well, and and I think just eternal gratitude to Dale and Gail for what they have done and continue to do and for the quality of effort that they put forth. Obviously, bringing in Jimmy Vassar, uh, James Sully Sullivan to assist with the 18 car program as uh, partners there, that's been nothing but a, but a positive. But, yeah, to your absolutely. point, absolutely. Yeah, overall, yeah. Having,
1: having Sully and Jimmy here is great because not, not only are they able to bring in Seal Master and the other sponsors that are associated with them, uh, Sully brings a lot of energy, and Jimmy brings a lot of cool California stability. Um, and those are two great guys to have as part of our organization.
0: Let's go to Jeremiah Morrell. He says, what's the maximum number of cars that you are comfortable running from the Dale Coin operations, is three full- time possible with, say shop space, and knowing the headcount would need to be adjusted to properly staff all three, do you think that could be a thing in the future, or is two the right number?
1: I do not think that we could effectively run three cars out of the current shop no it's uh, it, it, It's an okay shop, it's fine, uh, and Dale owns it, so that's a big deal. Um, but it is not large enough to run three cars. Uh, you know, we can't even put our trucks and trailers in the shop, which is tough in uh, Chicago in the wintertime. Um, we have to play Jenga to move cars and equipment <laughs> around the shop. You know, we don't, we really don't have enough floor space. Uh, the engineering office is maybe just slightly bigger than our master bathroom at home. You know, like it's, uh, the shop was built in a different time when teams operated in a different way. Um, and and we do a good job with the two out of here, but I personally just don't see any way that we could run three out of the shop. And I know Dale has looked a number of times at trying to expand the shop, but in its current location, given the shape of the land and uh, easements and things like that, uh, it it can't be done. So, for Dale Racing to run three cars on a full-time basis, I think means you got to build a new shop first, and suddenly the costs involved then escalate through the roof.
0: Let's go to a fun one here from Joshua Reniker, who says, "Guys, what's the strangest strangest description you've heard from a driver in their attempt to describe what the car is doing?" Can I
1: drop Milkaduno here?
0: Can oh, please! That? Oh, yes! Any Milkaduno story is welcome.
1: All right, so there was a time when Newman Haas Racing with Lanigan was definitely struggling for money, and there was talk of, we're going to run three cars, and one of them is going to be Milka Duno. And one of them is going to be Milka Duno because she has the backing of the Venezuelan government and Sitco money. Everybody kind of said, okie dokie, and we went off to Sebring to run Milka. Um... And it was the struggle that I think a lot of people expect. However, she did get better through the day with some coaching and looking at data and that kind of thing. But I wasn't running the car, but you're talking to her. And I think she was out of the car. And uh, you know, it's what, is, what is up with the car? And she goes, the car is not happy today. And I, ah, it's not happy. Uh, why? why is it not happy? And she goes, it does not want to turn. Okay, it doesn't want to turn, so that's understeer. She goes, no, no, it's not understeer. And I went, okay, Milka, what is understeer then? (laughs) And then it just went from there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Hey, so, you know, give me some thoughts on corner off this, that, or the other. No, (laughs) happy or sad.
1: It It was a happy or sad. And I mean... You know, a lot of times you'll get a driver, he'll come in and he'll just be like, the car is just awful. It's trying to kill me. It's terrible. And you're just like, okay, let's breathe here. Can't fix awful. Can't fix terrible. Let's get into some specifics and we'll try to go from there. So every single driver is like that. You know, every now and then the thing's trying to kill him and he's just angry. And, you know, you, you got to maybe try and start pulling the details out of them. You can only fix one thing at a time. There is no magic. Oh, I didn't know you wanted more grip. We'll just put that on like that. That doesn't happen. Uh, So you got to get the details before you can start trying to solve the problems.
0: If you want to know, dear listeners, how far ahead of her time Milka Duno was, she is describing the car to her race engineers in emojis. Well, before emojis even Absolutely. existed, it that would have been, is phenomenal. Smiley have face like built
1: them on the steering wheel and she could have like instant messaged them to us on yes. the telemetry.
0: I, I right. mean, yeah, You're again, right. a You're pioneer. Right. Let's go to Colin Taylor on the topic of drivers. He asks, what are the main differences and similarities between Sebastian Bordet and Santino Ferrucci in terms of driving style?
1: This is a struggle for us this year because there are no similarities at all. <laughs> so they are not driving each other's setup. And that's just the bottom line. Um, if I'm honest, I think Santino is more willing to drive what most of the people you see in the paddock are running runs a much higher arrow balance, uh, much more neutral car isn't bothered if the rear is stepping out. Um, you know, Sebastian has a very particular way that he wants the car to be. And I'm not going to say he can't drive a neutral car or an oversteering car because he can, he just wants a car that does one thing and does it predictably. And I personally have struggled very mightily to deliver that to him. Um, You know, we are, I feel like off on kind of our own Island with the setup. You know, if I look at other people's cars, you know, out there in the paddock, uh, Sebastian, we're, We're, we're a different, different bird. Um, maybe ultimately we're not as fast as we could be because of that, but I need to put together a car that he trusts and that he feels is predictable and that he thinks he can drive quickly for an entire race. Uh, so set up similarities. There are none. And, um, that definitely hurts us a little this year. Uh, but as I said, I think Santino maybe is a little more closer to the norm. You know, one of the young kids from the video game generation.
0: Yeah, he seems to, I don't want to say not be phased. He doesn't seem to know. And that's a good I thing.
1: No, I think everybody knows that there could be some bad consequences if this thing steps out at the speedway. Of course, but he does um, but, not you know, let he, that
0: affect his performances behind the wheel.
1: You know, they, you're, you're a much different person at 21 than you are at 40.
0: Exactly. And that's my point.
1: And, and, and he is young and brave and, uh, you know, the, the way he's gone at the ovals in particular, very impressive, you know, rookie of the year at Indy, such a good run at Texas, great run at Iowa. Didn't, didn't finish great in the end, but like he ran up front at Iowa for three quarters of the race doing a good job. So I think he's probably pretty excited about the
2: next two events.
0: Last two or three for you, Craig, this one comes in from windy car. Don't know if this person's from Chicago or not. This is the classic garbage in garbage out scenario describes working with data. Have you had any cases where engineering analytics just didn't pan out because of poor initial data quality and how much of a factor of garbage in garbage out do you find takes place in IndyCar?
1: Happens all the time. Depends a lot on how much time you had to get ready with your sensors and how careful the people you're working with are in terms of the calibrations. Also matters that you're looking at the data after you've collected it, not three months later. Um, maybe you calibrated your load cells with something other than 4,000 pounds of manure. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, sensor balls. sensor errors. um can play havoc uh you can calculate your aero balance wrong you can uh count your fuel count wrong and end up running a car out of fuel you could have your lasers wrong and not actually understand what ride heights the car is running at um tire pressure calibrations you know if, if you're off between your gauge and then the sensor in the car which one is right what you should you be adjusting to it's, you know, your your damper position sensors, you know, things don't match between what you're trying to do with a simulation and the actual data on the car. Does that mean you don't understand your suspension geometry or you don't have the right spring rates or your dampers are behaving differently or your simulation is wrong? Um, all hell breaks loose Oops, sorry. I'm not supposed to curse. Um, but uh, there are problems when uh, when you don't have properly calibrated sensors for sure.
0: All right, let's get to our final two. We'll go with Ed Joris. Craig, what did you do for your summer vacation? Were you able to take some real time off? Do you think that IndyCar should mandate the team shut down during breaks like this as Formula One does?
1: Wow, I could go on for a long time with this one. Thank you for asking that question, number one, because it means you realize that the people involved in the sport are human beings, and might well have a family behind them somewhere. Um, we don't get a summer vacation. My summer vacation consists of going to Iowa and Toronto and mid Ohio and Pocono and that kind of thing. Um, which is tough because I have two kids. We're starting sixth grade and eighth grade this year. Those kids never get to go on a summer vacation ever. Um, the only time we ever can take a vacation is at the sort of Christmas to new year's holiday break. Because even when the kids have spring break off, say in March, I'm off racing already. Um, so my family, my wife, my children, uh, they definitely have suffered because of what I do for a job. Uh, you know, we, there have been a, a couple of weekends off. Um, unfortunately, my wife's father, uh, was sick with cancer earlier this year. Um, and then he passed away. And we have made three trips back to New Jersey, um, you know, to, to be with my wife's family and to deal with that situation. Uh, so if you had a weekend off, you're basically trying to, to do what you can there. Um, I, I will say, I, I got to give my wife's family credit. You know, he died just after the Indy 500, and they actually held off his funeral until I could come and attend. After the Texas race, they, they literally delayed his funeral so that I could be there for it. Um, and I, I really appreciated that. But it feels kind of terrible that life has to come that way. You know, um, I've never been to Yosemite. I've never been to Yellowstone. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I've never been to Bryce. I'd love to go to all those places, but I've never been there because um, we're working. You know, there's there's guys in this business, they miss their kid's college graduation. They miss their brother or sister's wedding. Um, you know, kind of missing a race weekend, um, uh, unless like your wife's having a baby or, or somebody has just died or, or you are really sick, you're not supposed to miss a race weekend. Um, and as a result, there there isn't a summer vacation. There just isn't so you know you, you you chose your profession you knew what the deal was going in so don't complain about it don't regret it um, but the thing is I always feel about like my kids and kind of my wife like this wasn't their choice and I really do feel like they do suffer because I'm not around um, and I, I feel pretty lousy because of that a lot of the time. Uh, So would I support the August break? Yeah, I think so. Um, I know why Formula One does it, because Europe just closes for August completely. But you got to do it like Formula One does it, which is like the shop is bolted shut and everybody's computer stays in the shop. And we're going to check your email and check your servers to make sure you're not doing any work. Because if I know racers, if they can find a loophole to be doing work to get a leg up on the other guy during their quote unquote vacation. well. They'll try to.
0: I love that idea. And I haven't been to a racetrack in almost three months. I can tell you, though, I I haven't had a day off in those three months, even though I haven't been racing. Um,
1: I I, I hear you. Now, I I don't know. what I think the Olympics are on NBC next year. So, you know, maybe we have an opportunity because I'm sure there's going to be a period there where NBC would like to focus on the Olympics and our sport will sit off to the side for a little bit. And I'm sure they'll give us some promotion during the Olympics. So that's a great thing. So we can watch the Olympics all together on NBC, have a little bit of a vacation, and then go back to racing after that. We'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe that'll work out for the best for all of us.
0: Well, unfortunately, I'm hearing rumors that the Penske Games will be added to the Olympics as an the official Penske thing. Game. So at least some Penske IndyCar drivers will be busy.
1: Okay. Well, all right. If the Penske guys want to keep working and take no vacation, that's fine. Good luck good Let, luck
0: all <laughs> let's get our final question we always get one whenever you visit us craig this comes in from bob fay he says hi guys I just wondering if there are any personal moments with paul newman craig that you might share that someone from outside the sport would not have known about so always folks love themselves some paul newman as they should
1: yeah boy we miss paul he's a good guy um Paul wanted to be just one of the guys at the racetrack. He did not want to be a movie star. He did not want to talk about movies or the Academy Awards. He wanted to know what we're doing, how the team's doing, how's the car handling. Um, Might talk a little about his own racing. If you asked him, he's not going to bring it up. But if you ask him, he'll tell you about how his race weekend
0: went. Um, Would he get involved? I don't know if involved, but curious. I don't know if I've asked this how heavily would he get into the technical side? Would he sit in on some debriefs or otherwise? No, not saying contribute, but no, just listen in? Not,
1: not at all. Hmm. Not at all. He was he was just supportive, you know, and, and he was good for a hangout at the motor home with the Murphs uh, after the, the day was over and go and have a beer and bench race. And he was good to be there with the guys for that. So, you know, that was all really nice. Um, so I did... You know, when, when my wife Helen and I got married, um, we, we invited the whole race team because that's, you know, what you do. They're, they're your teammates and you invite them to the wedding. And as part of that, I, I did invite Carl and Bernie Haas and, and they came and I invited uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward because they're the other owner. Now, did I have any expectation of Paul coming to my wedding? No, I did not. Um, and, and they didn't come. But what was was funny was that you have the wedding invitations. You have a calligrapher write out the addresses. And then we went to this old lady's house. She had written out all the envelopes for all our wedding invitations. And as we're picking up the box of envelopes, she pulls out the one. And it says, you know, Paul Newman and his address in New York City. And she's like, is this really Paul Newman? And, uh, you know, she was of the generation where Paul was you know, the, the sexy screen superstar. And I was like, stars. Yes, yes, that really is Paul Newman. We really are inviting him. And she was just so excited that she had calligraphed his address onto an envelope. So, you know, Paul and Joanne, they sent their regrets. I certainly didn't expect them to come, you know, fly in all the way for our wedding, but they sent us a very nice knife set that was very kind to them. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he was just good people, and uh, the the sport is a lesser place that he isn't here with us anymore.
0: Craig Hampson, always a joy to have you on the show. I know we didn't get to all the questions. Hopefully, maybe during an off-season visit, folks can send in some of the ones that we didn't get to if they really wanted them to be answered, and I'm sure we'll have more. Thank you for being not only excellent at what you do and taking care of my French fry, but also for being a very gracious guest and someone who does a wonderful job at bringing folks inside the technical angle involved in IndyCar racing because sheer volume alone tells us through questions that folks enjoy them, the Craig Hampson experience.
1: Well, I uh, I appreciate that they took the time to write in, that they're curious and they enjoy the sport. And I thank you for doing all the reporting that you do week in, week out. And I wish you and your wife the very best. I know it's been a challenging year, but... I hope things are on the upswing, and I hope we can see you at a track again soon.
0: Well, it's normally called the Week in IndyCar. We're going to call it the Robert McGinnis Show. Why? Because it's deserving of such. How are you, my man?
2: I'm great. I'm great. Enjoying the break.
0: Well, seeing how you just climbed out of bed, and it's 2.30 in the (laughs) afternoon, uh, I'm guessing eating some cereal in your underwear with a cowboy hat, probably uh, a fine way to start the week. Let's talk about life on the road to Indy. In thinking of the modern equivalent of, say, a Spencer Piggott, someone who has really used the road to Indy to advance themselves, build a name, build a reputation, show folks that This is a place where you can really amplify yourself. Seems like you're on a really good path here, especially with a win already under your belt in your first year in Indy Lights. How are you feeling? How are you feeling where you're at at this uh, coming up on the conclusion of your first Lights season with Andretti Autosport?
2: I feel great. Um, It's been a great year, honestly. I've, I've loved every second of Indy Lights, of Andretti Autosport. Like you said, we had our win at Indy. Uh, pull for the freedom 100 and every year on the road to indy i learned so much i progress so much as a person as a driver and i feel great and i just feel like i'm working towards being an Car driver right
0: well that would be the goal if you were working towards being an indy lights driver i guess we could say you've achieved that but you might have to talked to about setting your goals a little bit higher so kidding aside Your teammate, Oliver Askew, has had a dream debut season in Indy Lights. What's the general feeling from your end, knowing that I'm sure you'd love to be right up top leading the championship, multiple wins, etc.? but you can't always judge your progress by that of your teammate, at least on the development level. Has Oliver's success in any way... Either dampened your thoughts about your, your debut season, knowing you're in identical and dready cars, or is it just reinforced the fact that, you know, everybody develops at a different rate? Doesn't mean the destination you end up is any different, though.
2: Right, right. No, 100%. And, and no, I've it's been great having Oliver on the team and working with him. And yeah, you know, I'd want to be the guy who's won every single race this year. But um, he's really pushed me and helped me get better and better as a driver and He's he's a great driver and a great teammate. He's helped me out a lot. And, uh, yeah, and you know what? Everyone does things at their own pace. And maybe this isn't my year to win the win the White's Championship, but, you know, the goal would be to come back next year and kind of have a year like Oliver has right now. Um, I am still 19 years old. He is, what, 23. So, oh. you know, I kind of look at that, and I feel like, you know, he's a little bit more experienced, he's a little older, a little smarter. Let's try and learn what we can from him.
0: Well, A, grandpa and older. I wouldn't say smarter. I mean, have you spent time speaking with the guy? Yeah, it's not a lot going on between the old ears there. Now, kidding aside, we love ourselves some Ask You. But you raise a great point, Robert. And there are, you know, we had Jacob Abel on last week who's learning, showing potential on the Indie Pro 2000 level, for example. But he's someone that, like you, young, having to do a lot of learning on the road to Indie, maybe compared to an Oliver who almost had a completely separate career in carts before he got here. How do you process that? Right? You want to be the champ. You want to win everything, destroy, conquer, etc. But how do you also process kind of governing yourself a little bit, realizing I'm still young and I still have a lot to learn?
2: Every, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Every time I get in the race car, uh, I'm driving the best I can. I'm giving it my all. Um, and from that, you know, when you're giving it your all, you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to learn from them. And I think Oliver Oliver doesn't make a make a lot of mistakes. He uh, he's so consistent. And again, like it's been great to learn from that. And I'm I'm really just doing my best and giving it my all and learning everything I can. I've I've had a great time and I've learned so much.
0: So, for looking at this year of the things, I've been impressed about your efforts so far on and off the track the off track i mean i love knowing that you're going to be busy here this week at a sponsor engagement for example and looking at your andretti autosport entry it doesn't say dad mom and dad on the side etc it looks like there's some real serious folks who are wanting to i don't know if invest in your future but at least try and give you a great opportunity to see what kind of career you could develop for yourself. Share some thoughts about that, Robert, because the, at least when you're getting to Indie Lights, that really is also a time where you're having to spend more time to develop those partnerships, those sponsorships and also serve them too.
2: Right, right. No, I I have some great partners, Palo Alto Network, CyberArk, Optive, SailPoint, and they're the only reason that I'm able to, to be on track and drive in Indie Lights. And I can't thank them enough for that. And, you know, I, we do all sorts of fun things with our sponsors, and it, it's a blast. And it's made me, you know, a better person. And you know, like this week, I'm going to an indoor go kart track uh, with some of my sponsors, and we're gonna have a good time. And I'm gonna race with them. And it's just doing fun stuff like that, and learning about myself, and meeting new people. I I can't thank them enough. And it's been a it's been a great time working with all of them
0: you spent time working with one of the most dastardly organizations in IndyCar. I think it's a definite black mark on your resume. And that's CoForce. Tell me about interacting with just the most deplorable human being I've ever run across, Anders Krohn. Seriously do not know how Norway lets their their convicts and, and inmates in prison get out like they did with him. But tell us a story about co-force and the fact that you know you can actually do something other than turn a steering wheel i guess in terms of employability or something along those lines
2: well um when i did my first ever test in a race car that was in f1600 with team palfrey and uh the coach was Andres crone and that year i was 15 years old and so my dad had work You can come come to all the race events so Anders is actually my legal guardian. So I'm I'm pretty upset that you talk about my dad like you that. You
0: did. You never but had a chance. Oh, you were I screwed from the, the, the beginning, Robert. <laughs> Robert. You've got so <laughs> much want- to fix. Oh my goodness.
2: Uh, um, but no. Uh, I'm working with Co. CoForest and Anders, and uh, I don't know. I try and I try and spice it up sometimes on interviews, on podcasts like this, and lots of fun media content. It's just a good time. I love everything that happens in and around racing in my life and sponsor events at a go-kart track, doing interviews, you know, actually driving the race car, being at the track, coaching. I do some coaching on the side as well. Um, It's all just so much fun and it's, I'm loving life.
0: Well, if you didn't, I mean, I'd have serious questions about your sanity being 19 (laughs) racing cars for a living. And then there's the other thing, which I, I'm guessing it's part of the fun, you being an internationally ranked person who tries to stab other people for sport, uh, Uh, fencing and such. I mean, I get the, hey, I played baseball in high school, hey, cycling. You being highly regarded in your ability to stab other people for sport, that's kind of awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, fencing was actually my first sport. And when I was like eight years old, I was this chubby little kid and I needed, you know, some physical activity and I loved star Wars and fencing is as close as you can get to lightsaber fighting. (laughs) So I went and I started stabbing people and I, I got better and better at it. And I, I loved it and I still love fencing. It's so much fun. It's, uh, (laughs) what's not to like your sword fighting and, um, no, it, it kind of started to drop off after I started racing cars more seriously. I couldn't give it the time that it needed, but love fencing.
0: What about from a dexterity standpoint? I'm thinking if you're going and spending some time at pit fit with Jim Leo or name a variety. There aren't a ton, but a variety of the specialized driver uh, fitness coaches and such. You see all manner of really interesting exercises being done, I'm guessing, Fencing and high-level fencing at that, would there be something where you could think, ah, maybe this helps me in something hand-eye coordination related to driving, or am I just making up stuff here?
2: No, 100%. Um, Really, two things I take from fencing to racing, I think, is, first off, the hand-eye coordination. The tip of the sword is the second fastest thing in the Olympics behind the bullet. So you actually have to, you know, you got to move fast. Um, and you have to have good hand-eye coordination. But then a big part of fencing also is your legs. Fencing isn't about, you know, hitting the guy. that That's the end result. But it's all about positioning yourself and being able to move as fast as you can with your legs. Uh, I, so I basically worked on my legs and my leg strength for six, seven, eight years and then jumped in a race car. And one of my strong suits as a driver is being able to hit these crazy high brake traces and brake pressures and be able to maintain them. And I think that's definitely helped me with not just going fast, but being able to overtake, being able to control the brake pressure. And, yeah, I, I think fencing's great for racing. Um, the only thing that I struggle with is you hold the sword in your right hand. The rule is is that you can't cross over your feet. So I am pretty lopsided. But, no, there are more pluses than minuses.
0: I would love to see you do an entire race accelerating with your left foot and breaking with your right. Now that would be impressive, but I think you might be the guy to do it based on your somewhat unique training. Well, let's get to the couple of questions that came in for you here. The first one from Grant Stouter, who says, Robert, has anyone mispronounced your last name as meningitis?
2: Um, nobody said meningitis. That's not the, the mispronunciation. Uh, I had Maginus a while ago. Um, oh that was definitely the low point.
0: You had Maginus. Um, wow! That, that shout out
2: to uh, Rob Howden, Florida Winter Tour 2014. Um,
0: oh, that I mean that that sounds like if you were a her- hermaphrodite and had some sort of problem <laughs> down in the man slash lady part region. Um, Exactly. Maginus. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Those would be awesome commercials. Do you have Maginus? Well, you're the one person on earth, and we got a pill for you. Wow. Well, good for Rob. I mean, Rob's a creative guy. We love him. Well, Grant also has a serious question. He says, do you think another year in lights would be preferable to trying to move up? He says, as we have seen in the Red Bull racing camp, moving up too soon can destroy a promising career.
2: Uh, yeah, that's very true. Um, I think another year of lights would be the best, the best choice for me. You know, I don't want to show up to IndyCar too young. Um, I don't want to, you know, rush things like, like he says, but, uh, you know, say we do have a crazy end of the year and I'm able to win the championship. If I can win the lights championship, I'm probably ready for IndyCar at that point. But, uh, no, I think the best choice would be best choice would be another year of lights. And that's the goal.
0: It's on a related topic. Our man, Windy Carr, I love names on social media, <laughs> says, McGinnis, does he feel like he might be part of a youth wave in the next two or three years? Uh, this is talking okay. about as your Tony Kanan's, Ryan Hunter Ray's, Will Power, Scott Dixon's, Takuma Sato's, Sebastian Bourdais, and whatnot transition into Colton Hurta's, Pato Awards, Ryan Normans, Renus VK's, Oliver Askew's, A.A. Ron Tielitz, and yourself, <laughs> Robert. Do you think this youth group uh, might have a defining gener- generational trait as well?
2: Um, yeah, I think so. I think you're you're going to see a lot of the uh, the older guys um, just kind of you know retiring and stuff over the next few years over the next few years, and that's going to open up some seats. And you know, I that's the goal. I want to be one of those one of that new generation of indie car drivers coming up and. You know, the goal is to win the Indy 500. Let's get there and let's do it.
0: Well, there we go. The gauntlet has been thrown down. So you've got a little bit of time here before you get busy again on the Indy Lights front. What do you look forward to the most here as we do have a little bit of a a gap, but then frankly, we blast right through to the season finale. What are you looking forward to the most here before we get to September?
2: um i mean before september i mean i'm looking forward to uh to gateway let's go racing Uh, um yeah no i mean i'm just really excited to get back in the race car and i love ovals i'm i love just how intense they are how fast you're going how big all the little things that happen seem to be and i'm i'm honestly like we had a little break after mid-ohio it was nice it was relaxing but let's go racing
0: let's go racing says robert Meningitis, maginus. uh, We'll just leave Rob Howden and his new name all by itself. Robert, thanks for spending some time, my man, and I look forward to seeing you here soon.
2: Thank you, Marshall. I'll see you in a couple weeks.
0: All right, you scoundrels, it is time for your QA sent in on Twitter and Facebook. I'm going to do my best to do this in an hour. it's, I think, the third week Rev I've said that and failed miserably. So, up front, we'll politely ask that, although I'm starting now, if and when, because I fully expect to go over, y'all sent in, like, 42 questions on Twitter, and I don't even know, uh, yeah, 30, 40 on the book faces. Um, that, I believe, in my head movies equates to more than 80 questions so there's no way i'm getting to 80 questions in 60 minutes i might get to 20 in 60 we'll see gonna do my best i am gonna hit the official oven roast turkey timer here so you hear that there is intent to stop after an hour um i might actually stop at some point here this is uh, 9 16 on a monday night and got home a little while ago and my tummy is growling At what you're saying, but Pruitt, haven't you overeaten for many, many years? Well, yes, I have, but that still doesn't change the fact that I need to put calories in at some point so my tummy isn't grumbling. Okay, all of that nonsense aside, and hopefully you enjoyed young Mr. McGinnis there. That kid's fun. That kid's a lot of fun. I can see, although there were some canned answers, he seemed to end on lots of things that culminated in the same kind of positive wrap-up. I'm going to work with him. Hopefully we get him an Indy car, And then I can do with him like I've done with many young drivers and just abuse them and say a lot of things to really try and trip them up. And then hopefully, you know, it becomes a little less shiny, happy and whatnot. But he was a blast. And Craig, I mean, come on, it's Craig Hampson. Like, I just had the idea that I need to start the Race Engineering Hall of Fame since we have Hall of Fames for drivers and everyone else he's first ballot. We know that already. So pretty awesome when we have first ballot guy like that coming in, making us smarter, and also not laughing at me for being really bad at the job he does that I was so good at, I'm now not. All right, get ready for the beep, and off we go. We're going to start on Twitter. I've had no coffee this evening, by the way, and I've laid off the crack. So no artificial stimulants but we're going to go with vincent1701 hey vincent how are you my man says we'll spam and that's the awesome acronym come up with that jim johnstone came up with last week for yes it might be named technically aero mclaren schmidt peterson but he decided to jumble those letters and come up with spam instead of amps Vincent says, well, spam bring anything other than money to IndyCar. I don't see them turning SPM into a three- or four-car team. This, and I don't know if you expressed it necessarily, Vincent, but I've there are a lot of folks that have sent in something along the lines of, yeah, this, this doesn't do a lot for me. This isn't McLaren bringing addition to the series. It's bringing their name to the series but the same two aero spm cars on track this year will be the same two entries next it's not additive and therefore that does not excite me i will admit that when i was having some conversations before all this stuff came to light i had to ask and re-ask this exact same thing a couple of times so two cars so so it's spm's two and then your two so so that's four okay two so your two car that finally they hit me over the head enough said pruitt two cars total put all the names in whatever order you want who owns it this that the other f1 team two guys one canadian one american and the electronics company jumble them however you want just two cars left me with a similar feeling of oh yeah i was kind of hoping to grow the field by 2 next year coming back to your point though Vincent and this is maybe wrapping up a little bit of some other questions that y'all have asked trying to bundle this up front as much as i can i don't recall whether i said this here i did a podcast with awesome folks in sweden uh this morning so i might have said it there but yeah, um, if we're talking, when we're doing this podcast in 2021, 22, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this acronym of SPAM. I don't, it might just be AM, um, or as AMS, or AMP, or I'm not exactly sure. But something just feels like there could be a time, two, three years out maybe, where mclaren might either want to take sole ownership or might want to just start their own uh, i can't say i can't say whether mclaren's plans would involve absorbing and effectively uh, racing sounds hard but you know truly just making it mclaren racing within the exact confines what they're stepping into now or if we're talking about hey so do you guys want to sell no? Okay, well, hey, man, it was awesome working with you. We are going to set up our own thing, and we look forward to competing against you, and maybe then, Vincent, we get the addition of two cars. But in terms of while this partnership is together, do I see them becoming three, maybe four? That's something where I think there might, might be a harder time there because everything I understand about the McLaren board and what they're looking for and what they want this is a very image-conscious company. Definite criticisms during the month of May that there was too much time spent on making sure everything looked pretty. The hospitality unit, the original hospitality unit got hauled away because they didn't think it was befitting of the organization, and a new one was hauled in at whatever expense late from, I think, Arizona, I heard, New Mexico, whatever it was. Lots of that kind of stuff. So... I don't know if they would really want to be going to three or four knowing that controlling image, message, quality gets harder. The more you start adding additional cars, unless we're talking about some supremely talented drivers available to pilot them. And even two, three years down the road, knowing that we're staring at a generational shift here with some really amazing 38, 39, whatever year old, 40 plus year old drivers. Maybe winding down. I just don't know, Vincent, if there's going to be enough top tier caliber drivers with oval experience, with the experience they would want to step into those seats. Also, let's go to Vincent as a follow-up, says, let's talk about our friend Fred, the great Alonso. I read he has a personal services contract with McLaren. Uh I never read that he has a driving contract. Is this correct? If so, does Honda Japan dislike him as much as McLaren? Does he jump into an Andretti fifth? entry and whatnot i don't know what his contract is vincent i do know that just by the language expressed by zach brown mclaren ceo he has said if fernando wants to drive we will make that available so that makes me believe it's more than just a personal services contract i don't know what the contract is but it sounds like if Fernando wants to drive a motor racing vehicle and McLaren is capable of putting him in it. Capable being the word, right? Uh, if he said I want to drive in one of the final grand prix of the year. Well, they don't allow three car teams in F1 and they're certainly not going to park Lando Norris or Carlos Sainz Jr. So, if there was a vacancy, sure. I'd say the same thing in IndyCar. Um that might be the one place though where they might roll out a third on occasion if he truly wanted to and they saw the value and they had the sponsorship and they could afford whatever he wanted to be paid. So it's a lot of ands and ifs, but I think if you wanted to come play IndyCar, I think McLaren would be smart to allow that expansion to three cars on occasion, but I would not foresee Mr. Alonzo wanting to do that full time by any means nor do I think the team would want to do that. Even if he said, I'm in, uh, yeah. <laughs> they'd, lo- they'd run them. They'd love to run them. We know this. Do I think they'd rather say, how yeah, about year two? Let's get this thing figured out so we can feel really good about where we are going. Let's go to Matt Odland, who says, I've enjoyed hearing about the Andretti Technologies Group And the support they offer and have been utilized by the Harding Steinbrenner team and McLaren. How did Andretti develop the service in IndyCar? No one has done it in IndyCar before that I know of. It reminds me of what NASCAR teams uh, use like Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, There have been, Matt, maybe not as well publicized. Here is a service you can purchase from us type thing. But there have been a lot of alliances over the years where a team helps with certain technology. Um, There's been a lot of this stuff over the years. But to your point, maybe not as formal as this. I would say there's been a unique assembly of this android technologies concept we'd been hearing for a while when i say we i usually mean me and robin by the way i don't i tend not to explain that for reasons that just occur to me now but when i say we i usually mean robin and myself been hearing about that for a while last year that michael was really wanting to expand to six cars and that sounds crazy it is crazy uh, hearing that you know building wise we're kind of boy you know we got a muffin top going on there's not a lot of room left for us to expand and take on two extra cars and an extra transporter and all it's a lot of stuff a lot of stuff a lot of people you know having to take lunch and shifts to use a break room microwave etc cetera, etc cetera. from what i understand the the true concept of andretti technologies and i could be totally wrong i probably am but As I understand it, Matt, the desire to expand, to have more cars, create more income, smart thing, was tempered by practical size limitations. So, hey, if we're unable, without a lot of discomfort, to go to the six cars in-house, well, what's the smartest way? Well, Michael Andretti's dear, dear friend, Mike Harding, has an IndyCar team. Mike Harding, it's costing more than he thought. They're not being too successful in finding sponsorship what's a good way to use existing resource in terms of a shop some cars and equipment and you name it what's a way to use something that would allow us to expand to two cars give us technically the six cars that we want and everything be very positive from an income standpoint well that as i understand it is what they came up with for harding stein brenner to outfit them with engineers, dampers, just all kinds of intelligence to go with the two-car expansion, Colton Herda and Pata Award that was announced. And again, as I understand it, that was really the genesis of this being a you know, commercially available business. Would they sell it to anybody? No, of course not. Very choosy in who they work with. But I believe that this was really the internal mechanism to expand without having to actually have two additional cars in-house things gone a little bit sideways there. obviously downsizing the one car when the HR hsr team did not find the money to run pato uh yeah interestingly though hearing similar things uh, about the ganassi team and had also spoken with mike harding who gave a am sorry mike Hull, who gave a little bit of confirmation there that yeah we could look at that this kind of model i know that if we look at Meyer Shank Racing, knowing that they are currently partnered with Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. They will not be partnered with them at the end of the year because of the shift to Chevy engines with the new SPAM program. Michael Shank being tied to Honda in more ways than one. This could be a thing. I'm not sure where Meyer Shank Racing is going to partner. Michael Shank has told me they do indeed, without a doubt, plan on partnering again could that be a ganassi thing where ganassi does similar where they have in theory a lot of very talented race engineers uh who are a part of the current ford chip ganassi racing imsa program tons of ex ganassi indycar people on that program engineering as well could some of those folks be repurposed in the paddock next year stay employed with ganassi just back in their indycar frame and and since they are employees of Ganassi, can be loaned and farmed out without giving away anything they shouldn't. Again, whether it's a shank, whether it's someone else, uh, I think we might see, Matt, more teams that feel like they have the engineering strength and quality and staff to be able to do this. I think this might become more of a thing. Some of the smaller teams that take a while to get up to speed, some of them that struggle to really get there, if some of them had the ability to tap into services both on the Chevy and Honda side, among the bigger teams, and were humble enough to say, "Hey, yeah, we want to do this ourselves," but uh, do we do we sidestep the three-year, four-year learning curve and do it in one, one and a half? Uh, you would hope most would say yes, provided they could afford it. Brian McKay. You sent in 4,000 questions <laughs> in a span of a very short amount of time. So I'm going to try and answer a couple of these. Don't hesitate to send the ones that I don't answer back because we tend not to answer one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions from any one person. Uh, you said if a pit crew member is injured during a pit stop, is another team member very qualified and ready to immediately substitute? bit of a generic question another thing brian would just suggest the more specific the better i would say that most teams i would hope i know many do most do but i would hope all do exactly what you are referring to have folks cross train the ability that if someone is unfortunately struck by a car during a pit stop who knows a heat fla- heat wave hits and they have a hot flash need to sit down take a knee for a moment Folks can step in, change tires, refuel, do the air jack. Uh, I would say in most cases, yes, indeed, teams do have someone that is ready to step in in all roles. Not necessarily a guarantee, though. I would say the smaller teams might be the only ones that do not necessarily have everyone cross-training at all times. Let's see. Another one for here from Brian... Uh, all right another one on the topic why don't IndyCar teams have portable air conditioners in pit lane for the benefit of team members wearing multi-layer fire resistant coveralls interesting one uh we do see that from time to time in sports car events but that tends to be if they're on pit lane for 6 10 12 24 hours and heat is a big thing indycar's general mindset though brian is to not put up big things that block pit lane from the fans. Obviously, if they're sitting behind the pits, I realize that everywhere we go, we don't have that dynamic. Uh, ovals uh, come to mind. There are many ovals that do not, but in general, the don't box yourself off, wall yourself off. Uh, it's just not really a thing. And knowing that even if there aren't grandstands behind pit lane, You tend to have a lot of guests, corporate guests, a lot of influential people invited down to pit lane. Um, I would say that obviously if you're going to bring air conditioners onto pit lane, you would indeed need to close them off as much as possible to reap the benefits. And at that point, uh, yeah, it's not a very accessible thing. So just approach-wise, it is not something that they tend to lean towards so uh but again if you have any other serious things you want answered send those back in as i always should think to remind you if i don't get your question and you really want it answered please send it back in uh sometimes it can take a couple of weeks don't hesitate to badger me and say hey idiot third attempt um so yeah uh let's see adam jensen you say do you think mclaren will create a bespoke damper program you've capitalized bespoke damper and program for their indycar program will it call upon their f1 technology will it be filled with tech and material akin to roger penske's proprietary quote unobtainium good question i would think that mclaren would certainly look into this area would say that arrow SPMs damper program this year. I'm struggling to think of an event where the ride quality stood out as, as good or better than the leading teams. So I would expect this to receive a massive amount of interest. Would they go as far as manufacturing their own? Not sure if they would do that year one, Adam, I would say that it would certainly be something to think about for sure uh, if they need to. That could be a very interesting resource for them to bring, but I think they would have to I think they would need to find if and what they found was deficient in ride quality, to then determine whether they could solve that on their own, using the dampers that the team has, maybe switch to a different vendors, or go as far as manufacturing their own for indycar interesting question let's see let's go to tim Calabro. tim thank you for sending stuff in Uh, i thought i heard that drivers were making in-car adjustments that had the effect of adjusting the rake of the car kind of a legal cheat am i imagining this if true please explain what is happening and how long it has been going on um if it is tim i've missed out and a lot of race engineer friends of mine are probably laughing at me right now they already kind of do but yeah not that i know of let's see let's go to ron thompson could dragon speed be on honda's list if they're looking to get another team or two i would say absolutely not ron just because we haven't seen enough sample size from dragon speed to i would say add them to honda's list of teams they'd be according. So, no, not at all. I also don't think Honda is going to be working super hard to try and add a team to replace Spam next year, simply because they've been pretty solid on supplying the field numbers-wise, and I think they might actually enjoy being able to step back by two full-time entries there. Uh, Will mention, though, got a nice text today from Elton Julian, team owner of Dragon Speed, mentioning that if all goes well, they do indeed plan on being at Gateway and returning for Gateway, and who knows, probably finishing out the rest of the year. So hopefully we're going to get our pals at Dragon Speed back here. Ben Hanley and the number 81 Chevy. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Lance Snyder. Marshall, with a name like Steinbrenner on a racing team, you would think finding sponsor dollars would be much easier. Why do you think this is not the case? Interesting, Lance. We have a very famous name in American sports. If young George Steinbrenner IV decided he was buying, I don't know, pick a crappy baseball team, I would think that finding corporate dollars for that baseball endeavor would be easier, as you mentioned, even if they decided to branch out into another form of stick and ball, who knows, could be major league soccer, could be whatever. And it was truly the grandson of, I think that would attract headlines. The fact that the kids passion in sports is motor racing that's amazing i don't know if that translates though i know the yankee link and connection is one that folks go amazing but i would have to think that if you're looking for someone to spend millions of dollars and you are being spoken to by someone with that last name you might be thinking cool so how do we become the official name whatever it is uh, of the Yankees, the official hot dog, the official printer, the official <laughs> hat, uh, whatever you might be chasing dollar wise. I just think it might be a lot easier to get those folks to spend money on the in the stick and ball world where the Steinbrenners have played granted big corporate investment while it is growing in its importance in the stick and ball world. It's not like that is the thing needed to operate a team. Uh, like that obviously if you're going to buy something big you're going to be spending half a billion dollars or more so and there's some very different financial realities here but there's a part of me that thinks that you know that having that last name is awesome i mean it is but picking up the phone and i'll just say valvoline for the sake of it um i don't know if Valvoline's going to go okay so your, your family yankees you give you money for not Yankees? Well, okay. Um, I, I I don't see it. And so I wonder, Lance, if that's why we don't see it. Because there's almost nothing on the car, which I hate. We all hate. We want to see them succeed. Uh, if you hear the squeaking, by the way, I clearly need to get a new shipment of JB80. Uh, twice as good as WD-40. I need to get some JB80 on the old office chair here. Uh, but that's my thought, Lance. I mean, he's a nice kid. I don't know if he has any real background in actual pursuit of corporate backing. And, you know, if, if this is an area where he has invested a lot of time and gathered expertise and things are still a struggle, or if uh, we're just really hoping that corporate connections coming in through family links and whatnot would be the thing to help get them over the hump. It just hasn't happened so far. And If it hasn't happened so far with Colton Herta making a big splash as a rookie, obviously him winning the Indy 500 becoming a champion would certainly, I hope, improve the odds. But if that's what it's going to take to get someone to spend a little bit of money on the kid, I wonder if this is ever going to pan out the way that they truly want it to. So, I have no information on what I'm about to tell you here. I just have continued to hear that A, Colton Herda is not leaving Andretti Autosport slash Harding-Steinbrenner Racing, period. And B, if we're talking about people who are good at finding money, that is certainly Michael Andretti. And if and how this ends up looking next year, if it's Colton in a quote fifth Andretti car, but it's being run out of Harding Steinbrenner and it's money found by Michael because Mike Harding's team before Steinbrenner and with, and now after Steinbrenner have not heard that uh, George's father has been, you know, helping to backstop things a bit. It's just not a way to run an IndyCar car team, unfortunately. So, Nothing negative to say against them. I wish it wasn't even a topic. I think everybody wishes this was a non-issue. They found a little bit of money here or there. They've been jerked around by a sponsor whose name we haven't seen on the car for a little for a little while now. Who knows if we'll see it again? But hasn't been an easy year. And I think because of the financial struggles, it has although there was a big punch, big, big impressive stuff to start the year from Colton. We have really seen this overall effort wind down as the season has gone on. And it's not because they've lost talent, lost anything else. Just when you're running on fumes, man, it sure is hard to stay up and stay competitive against those who are just grinding away, spending that money, all the latest, best pieces on the car, nothing worn out, Uh, all the R&D that they're doing, all the everything. Uh, We're just seeing that separation happen. So Colton is... (laughs) The kid who won Circuit of the Americas, the kid who was on pole at Road America, the kid, the kid, the kid, who did all the things that have made us go, whoa, this is a monster in training. Still the same monster in training. Just the circumstances are getting harder week by week as the season winds to a close. So let's touch on one thing I mentioned in the open. And that is McLaren thoughts, plans, and desires in terms of driver lineup. We're going to get to some more here about Hinch. I'm trying to wrap as much of that into this little bit here. So sorry I'm not calling out some of you by name, but I'm just trying to consolidate a number that have come in on Twitter and Facebook. I think McLaren's grand plan in this announcement and in their view of 2020 was having a young beast of a driver to lead them maybe not lead in terms of experience but lead them in terms of this is our IndyCar version of Lando Norris of Max Verstappen of Charles Leclerc if we're just looking in Formula One these young guns in their first year two uh just wow boy I think Max might be three, so four. Give me a break. But just these young, these are future champions in the right circumstances. I think that's what they were truly aiming for, and I think that setting their sights on a Colton Herta in year two, sophomore IndyCar driver Colton Herta, I think that was spot on. I think that was, well, spot on and well spotted by them. This is a kid that we can make an immediate impact with, and then build from for the future. And I'd have to agree with that assessment. I don't have any inside knowledge telling you whether this was truly their plan. I just I got a feeling that when they're winding down, looking at options and plans to come into IndyCar on the Andretti Autosport side, no, that hasn't worked out. But on the Andretti Autosport side, my guess is Colton Herta was indeed the one they targeted as. All right, if we're coming in with one car, two cars, whatever it is, adding to Michael's four, Colton Herta is our guy. Didn't work out at Andretti. I still believe that although it's shifted gears to Aero SPM, just as positive that Colton remained the center of their goals all for what he could do for them immediately and long term. And who knows? Formula one as well. I mean for a <laughs> for a kid who's just out of high school. Spent many years racing in Europe. Ah uh, yeah. Boy, as good as he is right now, I just think that the sky would be the sky would be not even close to a limit for Colton in a McLaren environment with SPM in IndyCar, or at some point maybe in F1. But I do believe that this new spam arrangement, thanks in perpetuity to Jim Johnstone for coming up with that, I do believe that this whole arrangement, not saying it was built upon or centered on having Colton there, but really the, ooh, we got something good here, we're going to scare the living poop out of people, I think there was a big component that exp- Expected to get a hold of Colton thought that Colton would be there don't hold me to it because I'm not in charge of contracts but again as I mentioned I've heard it ain't happening and provided that remains the case I think this sets some really interesting and unexpected dominoes in motion for them so what do I mean well if Colton's off the table where do you go for that win right now, uh, big impact, punch everyone in the nuts, uh, future champion, many, many many-time champion, where do we go, experience and youth and future wrapped into one driver. So the obvious person to name here is our good friend, truly good friend, love this guy to all kinds of pieces, the newly married 32-year-old James Hinchcliffe, who will be 33 on December 5th. I am not saying that James is not capable and will not win races for whomever he drives for next year. Just saying if we look at the criteria that they've laid out, Zach has said this over and over again, we want the veteran, we want the young, future-type star. At someone who's going to be 33 when next season begins, that's not James in terms of the youth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that really does leave the alright, so who is your long term play? Who is the young beast that's going to get you there? You take Colton Herta off the board. I don't know where you go. And this is using another filter here of could we look to F one or elsewhere in the world for That criteria, someone that would fit that. Yes, just keep in mind in almost every example, they'd be going through the Marcus Erickson school of learning a hell of a lot about IndyCar racing in their rookie year. Never been on an oval, knows one of the tracks, you know, Coda, great, but by and large, one of the reasons that Marcus has not been super effective this year is everything's brand new. Learning how to race on ovals learning all these tracks, while he's very good and adept, he's sitting here in 15th place. And, yeah. So while we could probably name some young F1 drivers or those coming out of F2 or otherwise that McLaren might consider, which they could, again, who knows? This is just my little theory. I just don't see how that fits the right-of-way impact, you name it, because there's so much to learn. So what do you do then? If you kind of refocus that to, all right, they don't have to be American, but we would want them to have oval experience. We would want them to not be on a massive learning curve every weekend to be that young, badass potential winner. I mean, age, right? Age or contractual obligations to other teams rules out. I'm just looking at the the points table right now. It rules out going after joseph newgarden alexander rossi simon Pagano, scott dixon will power now ryan hunter ray's contract is up uh, at the end of next year but again he's you know not going anywhere right now takuma sato graham ray hall felix rosenquist sebastian Bourdais. so the first person we get to holding 12th in the standings right now as a possibility i don't know his contractual obligations or but who knows is spencer piggott no disrespect to Spencer, he's having a really strong close to the season and is really looking like he is starting to become who we expected. Is that going to be enough for McLaren to go after? I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. They like a bit of flash. Spencer's not a flashy guy yet, so I don't. Just don't know if they would look at him and covet him in the same way they would a Colton Herta. Then you get moved to Santino Ferrucci. Again, I think there's a lot of potential there, but do you think McLaren's going to roll that big of a gamble? Throw the dice on Santino? Again, they could. i just not sure. After that, Marcus Erickson, Marco Andretti, Zach Veach, Tony Kanaan, Ed Jones, Mateus Laced. There's a lot of high talent in there. Some of y'all may love some of the drivers I just named. McLaren's not going to chase after Matthias Leist right now, unfortunately. I love the kid, but that's not going to happen. Could they go after a Tony Kanaan? They absolutely could. I would love it for Tony if that were to happen. Just saying he would fit that veteran role. I can't come up with the easy answer on the young, proven, uh, highly alluring driver again I, we know they like a bit of flash i'm not seeing it pato awards the only one that jumps out in that same kind of Ooh, man uh he and colton really made a big splash last year and in a carlin entry that we know certainly not up to speed as many of the other teams pato had some really good showings might not have been in a race might have been in a practice session or a qualifying but there are some flashes there we also know that zach met with him over breakfast in april don't know what the future could hold for pato is he going to be staying with red bull who knows uh would he be wise to reach out to zach brown who has a formula one team that he runs and is now coming into indycar and say hey uh boy I don't know what's going to happen here at Red Bull, but it sure would be awesome if we started talking again because the team, the the entity I'm working with now, they've got a Formula 1 program. You, you got a Formula 1 and an IndyCar program. I know F1's the kid's big dream right now, but one way or the other, if Colton's not on the board, my inner Zach Brown is on the phone to Pato... His lawyer, whomever, trying to understand contractual availabilities and seeing what you can work out. The only youth, <clears throat> oval experienced, proven young badass who I think most of us would agree could have an amazing future in the right team. He's racing in Japan this weekend. And I don't want to say IndyCar lost him because IndyCar has nothing to do with holding on to him, but. This is a kid who should be an IndyCar star right now, not toiling away elsewhere hoping it leads to something in F1. So, without Colton in that perfect fit for them, that flash, I tell you, there is a flash here in Pato Award that I think would fit the bill. After that, I don't see where. Of course, I'd love for them to consider Connor Daly. I don't think that's going to happen. We could, again, the Sage Carum. There's a bunch of folks that maybe could, might, possibly. In terms of all the things that would attract McLaren, I think they're going to struggle if Colton is indeed no longer available. And so, therefore, I think this throws them into a bit of a good old pickle. So do you try and keep Hinch? Does Hinch willfully cast off his Honda ties to stay there? As I said last week, as Robin said in his silly season story today on Racer, Hinch is saying all the right things. Hinch is playing this game perfectly. I don't mean play like playing people, being bad and conning people, but I think for Hinch to land in the right Honda spot honda performance development is going to need to step up a bit we know that he does great things for honda in terms of tv commercials has great links to honda canada which we know has uh, invested in him but that's investing some nice money which is appreciated on the team side while being a paid race car driver I think for some of the other opportunities to manifest for himself in a variety of Honda seats, since we aren't looking at many, if any, that are truly wide open and pay, I think it's going to require bringing the vast majority of a full budget, not because James should have to, not because he doesn't deserve to be seriously paid. Just saying, you look at the timing of all this, and you look at the market and what's available. Bobby Rahal's third entry they're really trying to put together, that is 100% sponsorship driven. Bob is not preparing to pay anything seriously for someone to drive that car. I know he's told me, and I have said that they want to find their own money to make their own choices on driver. I'd say it would be a little odd to think that that driver did not bring some budget for sure. That's been the model Takuma Sato. Amazing guy, Indy 500 winner. Uh, there are corporate backers that come with him to make that seat possible. Uh, Graham obviously is an exception. They obviously also find a lot of money and a lot of sponsors to support that program. Uh, for the third car, I would say there would definitely need to be, I don't know, half a budget, something brought, and that's neutral. That's driver neutral. Um, I know Bob is interested in Hinch. He's told me as such, but interested to the point of spending $3 million of his own dollars? Not a chance. Where else would we look, possibly, uh, for Hinch in the Honda world? Andretti, you know... I wouldn't say that there's super happy love fest there on the thought of a return, not saying it's impossible, but there's also no open seats that we know of all four taken for next year unless Marco decides to retire. And then who knows? Maybe there's something there, but that's a lot of maybes. Meyershank racing. Jack Harvey's their man. He's not going anywhere. Uh, chip Ganassi racing, Dixon and Felix going nowhere. Keep hearing rumors about a third car. Again, whether that's a technical alliance with the team, providing engineering support and such, maybe. Uh, I know that they do not have Hinch in their plans next year, period. Where do we go next? We go to Dale Coin Racing. All right, here's an interesting one. I don't know if this would be Hinch's first choice, last choice again. I have no idea. I can't tell you that I heard something that made me feel a little bit bad, but I mean, I don't know. know. I'm not sure if I'm super responsible for it, but spoke with Santino last week, did a story about, you know, him looking around, seeing the options and such, which I knew was happening. He acknowledged was happening. Nothing bad there, but I've then heard that a lot of people really, truly thought that seat was not available. And seeing how well he has run this year and how competitive the number 19 Honda has been. Some phones are exploding (laughs) with folks going, hey, we thought it was taken. We thought it was done. So where I feel bad, maybe a little bit. I don't know if he talked himself out of an opportunity there. Not by his words and my story, but just... uh, Folks that didn't think there was any reason to call now realize they should call. And so I think Santino might actually find a significant competition to retain the seat he's currently in. Nonetheless, could that second seat with a Canadian race engineer and Michael Cannon be something for Hinch to consider? I'd say so. We know that our main guests this week, Craig Hampson and Sebastian Bourdais, this year hasn't been their best. They've certainly had some struggles, but that's a mighty fine combination right there in a race car. Uh, I would say being teammates with Sebastian, that would not be the worst thing for Hinch in the world. Uh, Hinch, I would say, has not been challenged by a teammate in quite a while other than his one season, not a complete season, unfortunately, with Robert Wickens. I think being in a, dynamic situation with someone like Sebastian, a true veteran who takes no crap from anybody and is going to be a super straight shooter. I think that'd be awesome for Hinch. I'm not saying he's lacked that where, where he is. I just, well, if you know, Seb, but I know Seb look, man, that dude's as black and white, no gray area as they come. I think that might be really interesting for Hinch. So while Dale coin racing, isn't a big quote name, like an Andretti, like a Penske, like a Ganassi, my inner fan says, boy, if Hinch could land there, that would be pretty awesome. But again, Dale's not paying a penny for anyone to drive his second car. Bring a full budget. You can have it. Where do we go from there? Harding Steinbrenner? Well, if indeed Colton is driving that car under whatever name next year, I don't know if they're wanting to expand to a second, quote, HSR entry slash sixth Andretti entry. But, you know, if it's vacant, could he go there? I think so. Still, not a lot of odds. And then that leaves us with Rahal Letterman-Lanigan. Kind of the, the top choice we think that might not need a full budget, And has an interest in having him. So, what it comes back to, my friends, this is a weird thing. IndyCar's most popular driver. IndyCar's biggest face from coast to coast with the partnership with a Formula One team coming into IndyCar. Not adding cars, but actually just working with the same two. Not committing Seeing a lot of things that sound like commitments. Yes, we look forward to working with James. Well, they're starting to work with them already. So technically that's accurate because he'll be in the car while McLaren personnel are at Pocono and Gateway and so on. I've yet to see the thing from the team, unless I've missed it, that says, this person whose name start with James and ends with Hinchcliffe is racing one of our cars next year, period. End of story. I'd love to see that. I want to see that for his sake, because I think there are just not going to be very many seats to land in on the Honda front to keep all of his relationships intact, all of his income coming in. And if by chance it's not a McLaren schmidt peterson spam entry where else do you look if the money coming in right now to help is partially from honda canada and that goes away then it's just uh, petro canada i believe is that enough to pick a team carlin carpenter i, mean, I just hate how this is turning out Four hinge I would say he deserves so much more because he has invested so much more into the series for everyone's benefit. So I don't know what's ahead. I don't know where this is going to go altogether, but I do know that McLaren, um, I'm, I shouldn't say no. I just have a very strong suspicion that McLaren really thought Colton Herta was going to be their guy. That gave them the short-term and long-term monster they want make that big impact right right away and then have options whether it's try and work with Hinch if he will sever those Honda ties bring in another veteran of some sorts who knows I think they're just going to find themselves themselves in an interesting situation they did not really think was going to play out and as we know Hinch is in a situation that on the surface, and frankly, very much behind the scenes, not very straightforward. Could we find out here that James Hinchcliffe is driving for the team in the final year of his contract? Yes, that could end up being his best opportunity if HPD does not provide the financial push to help get him a high quality seat at a Ray Hall, at a coin, etc. But after those two, yeah, it's sad. I'll be really honest, this, this has saddened me because there's just, someone loses something here. Hinch either loses really tight and loving contracts and important contracts and income with Honda slash Honda related folks, or yeah, there's just loss in some way, shape or form here. And I wish it wasn't the case, but it is. All right, let's get to a couple more here on Twitter. Then I'm going to move over to Facebook as we're coming up on 50 minutes or so. And I don't know if I'm going to mention the clock again. Maybe I will, but it's just going to be in passing because I know we're definitely going past an hour, friends. All right, a little more than 24 hours worth of a delay. I'm going to continue here on Twitter. It's 11.25 p.m. Tuesday night now. And I'm not even turning on the little timer here. It's just going to be whatever it is going to kick off here with windy car. Marshall long set up for a long question. If you'll indulge recently sharing my passion for IndyCar car with a friend, motorsports doesn't do it for him generally, but he enjoys horse racing, which led to an interesting idea that said this guy usually tunes into the Indy 500 says it is a major American iconic cultural event likewise i don't really follow horse racing but i get enthralled with the annual triple crown kentucky derby the preakness the belmont likewise american cultural institutions it draws the casual fans the horse racing triple crown is early in the season much like the indy 500 says when a horse is going for the third leg of the triple crown it typically doubles or even triples tv viewership for nbc one of the reasons i like indycar is the three Types of tracks, oval road and street. What about using that basis for our own triple crown? It says Indy 500 is probably the oval. I'd say totally agree. Long Beach, Road America, just riffing. Might be a new marketing strategy. Add a drama, curious on your thoughts. You named the three I was going to throw out, so that's perfect. What I like about your idea is it shifts to... What IndyCar has become. I think the original premise for a triple crown, all 500 mile super speedways, that was awesome when super speedways and ovals in general, just that was IndyCar. <laughs> Road course, yeah, we might do one or two of those a year, but going in circles was our thing. Knowing that the Indy 500 will always be the staple, I'd say that makes sense in terms of the oval discipline. Trying to do a Pocono and uh, you name it, you know, I I I wouldn't be buying my tickets quite yet for Pocono 2020. So knowing stability wise, Long Beach obviously makes sense for the road. Co- I'm sorry, the street course also has amazing history, and I just can't see Road America going away, knowing how big the reaction has been since it's been back on the calendar. So, I love your idea. I truly do. Uh, It's the triple crown, not just in terms of three pillar events, the three biggest for IndyCar each year, but also in terms of the diversity that makes the series so incredible. I really like the idea here. So, I'll give you the quadruple thumbs up. Let me scroll through the final bits of Twitterness where should we go a couple more questions about guesses on Arrow mclaren drivers for next year so yeah this being late tuesday received a call from one driver who might and received some texts from another who might asking if i had heard any updates and uh, how's this i don't know if you know this about me i'm not a big prediction guy i'm horrible at betting first of all that's probably the underlying reason but i just find that stuff too easy right i could say any two names right now and it's meaningless i know for some others it's fun fun to speculate no i think it's going to be this person and that person that's totally cool it just doesn't do doesn't do it for me so if i were to guess right now I think James Hinchcliffe, as I mentioned earlier, I think this might be Hinch's best shot at having a quality ride next year unless HPD steps up and puts money behind him. So that's, I think, a stronger chance than I would have expected. In terms of the other seat, I think that is truly where McLaren is going to struggle. No, I've mentioned this before, but just trying to round back. If I'm McLaren, I'm calling Pato Award saying you are the model that we want for that. But beyond that, could it be a Felipe Nasr? Could it be a Santino Ferrucci? Could it be name a whole bunch of other folks? It could be a variety of folks. Not sure if any of them really truly will be first ballot choices, though. Once we get beyond Pato, and I'd say Pato, (laughs) honestly, I can't think of any other young, talented drivers that really have the pop that they would want. So I'm going to leave the speculation to you all who enjoy that. Maybe you need to tell me who you think the two drivers are going to be. Is that a cop out? Maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, Let's see. Chris Guthier also, and he asked that previous question, which I failed to mention because I'm something. I apologize if you've been through this on the podcast before and I missed it. Could you explain what dampers do and the difference between the ones top-tier teams use and the ones the smaller teams use? Super, super easy to explain. Dampers do what their name implies. They dampen and control the suspension oscillations, up and down, up and down. So if we think of what is attached to dampers also known as shock absorbers we have springs coil over springs mounted on top i guess around those dampers so you have the spring that actually holds the vehicle up off of the ground and the damper itself controls the oscillations knowing the chassis is always in movement in some way shape or form to the left to the right nose down nose up squatting at the back sitting up in the back, cross weight, working all kinds of things. Those dampers are the things that keep the car from wallowing like a 1970s Cadillac. And you can put a lot of force in place to make those dampers almost rigid, like just steel, solid steel rods that, if anything, take away any and all movement, but then the car would just slide off the track and into a wall or you can make them really soft and mellow you can use settings to control specific areas you can isolate the dampers modern dampers i guess going back many decades now but they have control that can handle low speed oscillations high speed oscillations and whatnot it's all kinds of really cool stuff So if we're talking about wanting to stiffen the suspension, you can do that through a variety of ways. You could go to stiffer springs. You could go to anti-roll bars that are stiffer. You could also, quote, stiffen up the shocks a bit. A couple of different ways to do things, or you could soften the ride characteristics based on the driver's need. Depending on what they want and how they want it to happen, tend to work within the spring, damper, anti-roll bar menu to decide what to do so that's that difference between the ones big teams and the little teams use there's no real difference it's not as if there's a call it cheap solution that the less funded teams use and then there's a really expensive great option that the bigger teams use team penske is the one that's well known for having their own damper Program. they make their own they keep their own not available to anybody else they also sell an off the shelf damper which is and has been somewhat popular for many years but there is truly a separate stream here team penske makes their own nobody can get their hands on them and then they actually have for decades and decades manufactured them and this is not just for indycar this is for a wide variety of racing series, and those can be purchased and used. And many IndyCar teams do that as well. One of the interesting things to close on this topic, Chris, is IndyCar's rules with dampers happen to be really kind of sort of wide open. So while there are a few limitations, you can, if you wanted to start your own team, buy a pair of Penske dampers or Oleans or Dynamic, which is made by Multimatic, and in any and all cases, you and your team can develop your own internals, can come up with what you think is a better way of making a damper within the the design you've the main design you've purchased to use. You could you could buy them quote off the shelf, bolt them on the car and use them. Or you could decide to, nah, you know, I got some ideas. Uh, we're going to do this a little bit different internally. Those tend to be the, the most normal routes. Most teams buy one of a couple of most common solutions and then modify to their heart's desire. It's pretty expensive to actually create the the whole thing yourself, start to finish everything so that's why most teams buy a basic design that they like and then play with the internals so that's why frankly uh, you can see even a bigger team struggle from time to time with their damper program and say a smaller team might really be kicking a lot of butt why well it's very likely they have a race engineer and or damper engineer or the same person could be doing both things that really knows their stuff and really has good ideas and puts those ideas into their damper program. So while they might not have a ton of money, a smaller team might've hired somebody who's just really a wizard at such things and can make that small team knock down some of those giants who have a lot of money, but maybe don't have the, uh, the people with all the experience or creativity to, stay absolutely at the cutting edge let's see let's go to a few more here jj thanks for this he says also while spam is an appealing or appalling acronym for the new mclaren effort in the hybrid era shouldn't it be amps you guys are the just the best i mean it i'm not blowing smoke i love my listeners you guys are the best so completely agree jj so i think we need to all come to a a consensus here and say that in 2020 and 2021 we're going to go spam when (laughs) the the quote hybrid powertrain era comes in and we have electrification 2022 we'll start calling calling the team amps so if we're all in agreement everyone say amen amen uh let's see did where else i'm just trying to look at What we got here on the tweeters before I move over to the book face, Peter Nutt, our friend from Holland says with regards to the silly season, what do you think are the odds of Renus VK moving up to IndyCar next year? Perhaps with Ed Carpenter racing with him and Oliver Askew performing so well at the recent Portland test is another Herda slash award type of graduation in the books for them both. I really do believe so, Peter. I think this is going to be a good one for years to come. The only thing that I wish we had following the Herda and Award trend with two guys at the same team, Andretti Autosport, what we have seen is Oliver at Andretti, best car in the field, best team in the field, and he is driving like he has the best equipment just as we saw Pato do, just as we saw Colton do. So nothing taking away from Oliver at all, but he is in the defending championship winning team car, everything. And he is maximizing that opportunity for Renus having moved up with the pro Mazda team, the the team that he won the pro Mazda title with home racing. I would not say on most weekends, their cars are as good as Olivers. That frankly is why we've seen Oliver stretch a pretty decent lead over Renus. I do find it interesting though that take them out of the that kind of disparate situation and drop these kids into indie cards for a day and <laughs> Renus is a monster. I mean he was seriously fast at Portland. So I would have loved to have seen the two of these go head to head at Andretti or at Hunkos, but just in the same team, same everything. I have a feeling the win tally would be a lot closer. I think Oliver's at six wins now, something like that. Renus is at three. But yeah. I think your young countryman, young hope, Dutch Hope, in IndyCar. I love that kid. For real. And if you Aren't super big followers of the road to Indy or haven't had a chance to check in on Renus and whatnot. We've got a few more races left this year. I would seriously, uh, on top of obviously following all the kids in Indy Lights, knowing that some of them are coming to IndyCar soon. Obviously, Oliver, young American, badass. We expect big things of him. We have since he came on the scene a couple of years ago. But Renus is one where, due to team circumstances we have not seen him in a quote dominant situation like Oliver this year but I yeah I think that kid Peter I think he's going to make some folks stand up so boy we are genuinely blessed to have this huge impressive rookie crop come in this year Colton Herda, obviously Felix Rosenquist doing some great things Sentino Ferrucci just blowing all expectations out of the water young kids just super on the rise right behind them, I think we're going to add two more In theory. We're going to have five, almost a quarter of the grid be very recent graduates of either, if not the road to Indy similar stage coming out of Europe. I and mean, this is a, we're, we're truly at that generational shift period. And I love what I'm seeing with who's coming up here. Let's see. Du, 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 du. You know what? It's time to move over. To Twitter. We're on Twitter. God, what is wrong with me? It's eleven forty one. That's probably what's wrong with me. Uh Jess, you know, I'm gonna take one more here on Twitter and don't hold me to that because I might find another one that I like. She says, Curious what the Arrow McLaren SP move might mean for Michael Shank Racing. I've really enjoyed following their rise. I might have covered this last night, and I'm forgetting it, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself in the same episode. Jess, I would say that you know, Chip Ganassi Racing would be one for them to certainly look at. Curious, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm curious if Hall Ederman Lanigan might be into something like this. I don't know if Andretti Autosport interests them Although they did work together in 2017 at the Indy 500, I think the being the fifth or sixth car definitely does not appeal so much. I'm not sure where else they might go within Honda Land to really find a, the partnership that they want. But uh, I'm keeping this brief because I feel like I might have done this last night, so I apologize, Jess. But if I uh, if I didn't, and I'm cutting it short here, don't hesitate to send me another note, and who knows, maybe I'll uh, find out more by the next episode. let's see where else where else where else john mueller says if rossi wins the indycar championship this year any chance honda gives him a shot at the red bull seat well john we're back to one of the fairly defined facts that gets lost in the minutia. so no fault of anyone's just It's one of those things that doesn't really stand out as well-known public knowledge. But the folks that pay for engines in F1 from Japan, it's Honda. Honda Corporate, 100%. No affiliation whatsoever with Honda Performance Development, which is responsible for IndyCar engines and some budget there. Any relationship Alexander Rossi has with Honda, Well, I'm sure he's met some folks from corporate, it's all American and the American side of Honda has nothing to do with what goes on in formula one, much less, nor would Honda have the ability, I believe to dictate to red bull to pull anyone out of a seat and put him in it. So as much as I love the idea of Rossi winning a title and then Honda moving him to F one, uh, Two different Hondas, and the one that he is affiliated with has no say in F one. Lynn Gale, you have a question here that Craig spoke about. He says, well, Forrest don't have to make different kinds of tires for the hybrids. And I'll just add to that a little bit and say, yes, absolutely. But it's not just because of the hybrids. It's because we expect the horsepower increase to be very significant, period. And then adding what we believe will be pretty significant could be on demand, right, coming out of, say, a hairpin in terms of push to pass, putting an extra 50 or so horsepower, instant torque into the drive line and into those tires. That would certainly be something that if we're talking road and street courses, maybe more street courses, but there could be some road course thoughts, maybe a mid-Ohio, um, maybe a mid-Ohio. A uh, place where there's some slower-ish turns and powering off, you know, second, third gear, maybe a coda, who knows. But I would say just in, in a very general sense, Lynn, with the power going up for sure, Honda's going to have to do a complete rethink redesign. And then also factoring in places at, say, a Long Beach in Detroit, where if the push to pass is going to be something that can be used at any point in time with this hybrid, propulsion system compared to just you know say overtaking uh that would be yet another harsh jolt to the uh to the firestone to need to accelerate that would probably cause a little bit of a rethink there after that i say it's time to go to facebook and i'm gonna do my best here because yeah uh, again, I love you guys. Uh, I mean that I really do. Uh, you guys feel like family get to connect with on a weekly basis and i I truly it's awesome with all the things that have been going on at home while this can be a time consuming thing, it is a nice break and so hopefully some of the energy you've been hearing from me recently is because this is just a really nice kind of sit down and chat with friends even if it's a completely one-sided conversation. Um, but let's move over here to Facebook. And yeah, I'm looking here. Boy, we're up to 50 questions. Not all them for me, definitely, but a lot. So I'm going to skip through, do my best here to pick some of the highlights uh, in terms of questions coming in that I think will be, uh, let's see. I don't know, interesting David Crawley says Marshall will the hybrid system completely do away with the inertia starter? I'm not sure on the definition of the inertia part of the starter, since I believe inertias used to start everything when we're talking engines. But the external starter, yes, that is the goal. So that the plugging into the back of the car and hitting a button using an actual proper starter one would see bolted to a road car but with a shaft extended to it that should be going away altogether so that is the plan and i say plan because we're on august 13th 2019 and this is meant to come by 2022 and as we have seen sometimes plans stated years before don't always stay the same sometimes they evolve we will have to see Let's go to our pal, Jameen Tuttle. And thank you, Jameen, for sending in stuff every week. Uh, Says, Marshall, love the hybrid announcement. Love the semi-snarky responses you had for some of the questions in Robin Miller's mailbag. Sorry, I did my best. I just couldn't handle it. I realize we don't know yet, but does your gut, it's a very sizable gut, tell you this will bring another OEM to IndyCar? Says, also excited to hear about Connor Daly being in three of the final four races Is this a last chance addition for him to really prove he belongs? Hashtag me personally. Thank you for using my favorite, uh, department of redundancy department expression. He's already proved it, but the owners need money more than talent. Kudos to Carlin for putting him in the car and also now in dirty auto sport. As for the third OEM, that's the hope. That's the goal. I think I might have said this last week, but I'm I'm really happy to say it again. The formula that IndyCar launched, brought to the world, announced was going to happen. This 2.4 liter twin turbo V6. They announced it the day, first day of qualifying for the 2018 Indy 500. It was met with a lot of "Wow, that's cool! Big power! Woohoo!" And it was met with a number of manufacturers that wanted to kick the tires. Lamborghini expressed a lot of interest. We thought something might happen there, but it didn't. Others met, spoke, a lot of conversations held, a lot of enthusiasm. No one would want to cross the finish line to actually get the deal done. More and more we're hearing, and Porsche being the example I think I've written about, might have been the one to mention it for the first time, whatever, uh, the lack of the hybrid angle is really proving to be the thing that had folks who were taking meetings or even asking for meetings. Yeah, hey, this is great. This is cool. Wow, big power. Who doesn't love that racing? Awesome. It's going to be a tough sell. And if I could just do this on passion and say, yep, we're signing up for five years and $50 million, because that is the number that IndyCar quotes a pretty decent budget prospectus for doing this and it's not just the motors and leases but the marketing and activation whole everything all in five years 50 million bucks 40 is the lower number so somewhere between eight to ten million a year over five years i mean that's that's pretty darn reasonable if you ask me but couldn't get people over the finish line to say yes because the people who are interested in it would go back to the folk saying, oh, cool, how are we going to justify it? How are we going to sell this internally without some form of hybrid green angle something? World's moving away from internal combustion engines. Can't tell you how fast, but I can't tell you that's the industry mindset. And if you're asking us to sign up for a new formula through the year 2026 <laughs> and it's just straight internal combustion engine lost your mind so to come back to your question, i the only thing indycar could do was revise the formula and say our bad hybrid gonna do it gonna bring in electrification i can't tell you whether that will bring a third I can say without a doubt, quote me now, without it, they were never going to get a third. So this is IndyCar giving themselves the best chance to get at least one manufacturer over the finish line, get their signature on a contract and make it happen. If this doesn't do that, that's the thing that scares me. If this does not attract a third or a fourth, boy, IndyCar is going to be in a very prone position, relying on Honda and Chevy's good, good graces. And how long will that last? I can't tell you. but yeah, honestly the the real question here isn't just will it bring a third? It's does IndyCar have a long term, future if it can't get a third having done everything i can think of in modern terms that would entice additional manufacturers to join the two that have been super committed but have also been honestly a crutch absolute crutch you take one of those two crutches away with honda saying thanks guys. But yeah, we're actually going to do something else. Yeah. I don't know how much longer Chevrolet stays. And I think we get to a point where Cosworth or whomever else, maybe Ilmore with unbadged Chevrolets or HPD with unbadged motors, who knows someone's providing a spec engine. And there are some who I know believe that's the right way to go just a a single engine, let's just get away from all this. We don't need manufacturers. They always go, true, their money goes with them. And the ability to promote the series and tell folks that it exists and all the things that help keep things moving in the right direction start to crumble. So, yeah, it's a weird interrelated thing. But honestly, Jameen, the thing here is, Boy, if they can't get a third, that scares me for IndyCar's future. Let's go to, where should we go next? Uh, da, da. Jim Johnstone, by the way, sent in a note here for Craig Hampson. One of his notes of PS was Marshall. I'm happy seeing McLaren SPM referred to as spam. You're the author of it, Jim. Uh, thank you. Seriously. I, I love it. Just love it. Uh, da, da. Daniel Kincaid, how similar will the 2022 Kerr system be to the system F1 developed in 2009? Uh, Daniel, I can't really say because I don't know exactly what it's going to be. Uh, the basic battery stuck under the tub, the back of the tub, and a deployment, uh, basically the motor generator units at the rear axle generating and sending electricity back and forth and converting that turning into horsepower not exactly sure we're going to be seeing that same exact thing still believe there could be kind of a wonky wacky who knows maybe good flybrid type thing uh toro track mechanical system not totally sure what this is going to be but i'm interested can't wait to find out ralph hibbard hey ralph ralph's one of my favorite people every year when i go to Indy because of the memorabilia show i hit him He's among my first two or three visits because he always has really good stuff. He says, MP, with Richmond being added, will it be at the expense of another track? Um, Still haven't heard about Richmond being a thing. I think it will be a thing, but I'm not, again, 100% sure here. The note about Pocono, honestly, I think we're going to have to <clears throat> look <clears throat> look at the crowd and see what this weekend tells us. If it's another relative flat line, I don't think IndyCar's Steven Starks, Jay Fry, Mark Miles are going to be overly motivated to try and stay. So might be a good one to throw back on the table here in a couple weeks, Ralph, because we're going to need to get through Pocono, I believe, to get a real proper feeling as to what may or may not happen there. All right, going to scroll through a few more using your likes as a bit of a guide of what I should or should not axe. Now we're not going to say ask every time. I'll just say axe. Uh-huh. David Pequeen, Marshall with Arrow, or sorry, I just got to start calling him Spam. Marshall with Spam switching to Chevrolet. How does that have the potential to possibly hamper part-time teams like Dragon Speed, Hunkos, Ryan Reinbold, Klaus, and Marshall, from obtaining engine leases and which of these teams would be most likely to work with Honda. Don't know if I mentioned this or the first portion of what I recorded. I really don't, but been texting with my man Elton Julian and they are truly hopeful and expecting to be back for gateway. Looks like there's going to be a variety of conflicts on the sports car side for them. That would make the team miss Portland but coming back and doing Laguna, since Elton is a California guy, um, I think we're going to end up seeing our pals at Speed back for Gateway and Laguna, so that's all kinds of awesome. I, I don't know if this is going to be anything that's super hampering, David, if we consider that, I know we're talking part-time teams, uh, and so I just naturally roll some of that into Indy 500 mindset. Uh, If we consider that Chevrolet had committed a lease to the McLaren program this year, they might not have made the show, but there was one provided. Well, if they're moving, if the spam team is moving to Chevy, in theory, that is one full-time entry they would need to take on, then a second for the 500 only. I'm confident that they would accommodate uh, them for sure, knowing that they're a full-time team, but then thinking about how that might have a bit of a knock-on. Boy, uh, if I am Chevy, (laughs) the one truly awesome thing that they had in the month of May and especially leaving the month of May, boy, did did they own... Boy, did they absolutely own the big, big story narratives of little teams doing good. Dragon Speed made the eighty five hundred. Holy poop! Hunco's racing the story of the five hundred knocking off McLaren. Drian Reinbold obviously didn't have a super great month of May, but Kloss and Marshall with Pippa, man, the team that we all—well, me at least—but I know many—they're the first. Why even show up for qualifying? You're never going to make it. I'm not saying that these things would necessarily make them automatics for Chevrolet next year, but boy, coming into next year's 500, three of those four are, I think, something that folks are going to talk about the entire time. And so not that that means anything. I mean, I don't know if that's going to sell additional Chevrolets, but there's a lot of feel good. And Chevrolet does feel good, better than most. So I'm thinking, David, they will have to find a way. In terms of Honda going after, eh, Honda tends to be a bit more, I don't know if choosy is the word. It's not as if Chevrolet is not. Honda's known to come out of pocket to try and help a lot of teams or in, in a variety of ways. It's not necessarily just money, you know, hand-to-hand. It could be testing sim stuff, Who you name it. I wouldn't look at any of these teams you've listed here and say those are ones that Honda would be going after. So I think, if anything, what we're talking about is in years past where Honda has held a few more engine leases for the month of May than Chevy, up a couple cars. I think we might be looking at a 2020 8500. 500 where, all right, Chevy, maybe by the numbers you have more entries in the field than Honda, and I don't think Honda would complain too much about that. Okay, just wondering down here, Alexi Hrushko who Ryan Terpstra says he figured I would murder your entire name. Maybe I did. says, hello, Marshall. Have two questions. First, Zach Brown told you in your podcast he's willing to use the same approach as an F1 with his drivers, experienced, and rookie. As you assumed, one would be Felipe Nasr as the rookie, and there will be neither Hinch nor Hurta in McLaren. So who will be the experienced guy? Bordet, Canon, Servia, Jones. What about Carlos Munoz? He's a great driver. Why not sign him? You got a couple more questions here, Alexi, so let me stick with this. I know we've covered this a little bit so far in this episode, but there's always angles to it. I didn't, I could be wrong, but I didn't hear Zach say much about a rookie. Uh, I don't think they're looking for, hey, you've never been to Iowa. Hey, you have never been to Gateway or Detroit. I don't think that's what they're looking for. I do indeed believe they're wanting a, a young up and coming talent that has experience that can deliver right away. Like a Colton Herta Nazar, no oval experience, but I he's that guy's just really good and proven to be a super fast learner. So I think as I believe I mentioned here, it might be something where we find out they invert their goals. Make no mistake, the thing they wanted was Colton Herta, in the the P1 position within the team. That doesn't mean that if Hinch is the other driver that he is necessarily P2 in terms of talent or otherwise. I mean more in you are our long-term guy. You're the one we're going to ride with for years and years, win races, championships, you name it. That's how we view you this young number one long-term asset. The number two, a Hinch, a Munoz, a Canaan, a Servia, you name it. Whomever they might go with. And I, again, I'm leaning more towards James unless some things open up on the Honda front pretty rapidly. I, I think they might end up inverting things a bit. Based on who is available, and they might actually go into next season with Hinch as their call it mental from their mental approach number one, and then take on a rookie if they cannot find, if they can't get a hold of, say, a Pato award. If this model that they want isn't going to work out next year, I think they might actually flip approaches and say, Okay. We have a proven asset in someone like a Hinch or someone Hinch-like. That's going to have to be our number one f- everything. Since we can't get that herda, and who knows if a award is available, if not, maybe we just make a Pick a Nicholas Latifi, a so on and so forth. Make that second seat Now that call it number two driver, it's going to be a little bit of a, a, I don't want to call it wasted year, but lower expectation year because all the things we've seen with rookies, even the ones that are super impressive, they're going to be ups and downs while they have to learn the ropes. So if we can't get the one we want, let's lock into having a veteran who can lead us while we groom a rookie and then 21 hopefully we can flip back to having this young, awesome, amazing thing that now has a year of experience and can be the person that they weren't able to in year one. Uh, let's see. Other part here from Alexi says, during the rossi Pensky possible move discussions, you mentioned several times that his race engineer, Jeremy Millis, will not return to Penske, Uh would not return to Pensky if Rossi signed a contract. Why? What is the story behind this? etc yeah it's just not something that jeremy's wanted to go into in really in depth we just know that being the free spirit the uh just owning his own self he is his own man and what you don't get at team penske are crew members who are their own man own woman you can get that at the top the lead true leaders but You're expected to fall into a system and really, truly stay within that system. And there are amazing people within Penske. Don't get me wrong. Like genuinely, some of my favorite people in the paddock are at team Penske, whether it's mechanic, whatever, just love big hearted, awesome, amazing people. They're just also not big boisterous personalities telling people to F off and just, yeah, rack on tours the kind of folks you're like look i don't know if you drink or not but we got to go to the bar because this is going to be a blast that's jeremy millis just wasn't a good fit Let's see gonna get a couple more here then i'm gonna shut it down because we're now at 1207 and i gotta be up at i think six forty five. uh ha-ha, ha-ha. where else should we go here I don't know. I, I mean I'm almost excited that we might be winding down a little bit. You're probably excited, St. Pruitt. Come on, man, shut it down. Uh Boy, this is fun. There's a lot of questions here that are in or around the same general theme. Uh William Matson says Marshall is Santino. Actually, said Santillo. Well, I like that one too. Stays with Dalecoin Racing full time next year. Would this be the first time that DCR could have a full time continuous driver lineup? Wow. Off the top of my increasingly balding head. I think you're onto something there, William. I really do. Now, I'm going to cheat. Because my brain not necessarily pulling up the old uh, history books the way I'd like it to. I'm going to click on the Wikipedias. Yes. I hate. Look. I'm just being honest. That's my goal here. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what it is. Uh, I mean, what I'm trying to think was Justin maybe and Justin Wilson and something in there. Maybe Grumpy Cat. Possibly. Yeah. F- no, I'm not sh- totally sure that was year to year two consecutive years. Um, boy, I think William, you might be onto something here, my man, because uh, there was just all kinds of change going on in 2015. Justin left that year. Uh in 16, we had it was kind of a bridge year. Seb came on, obviously in. 2017, but he has had both Ed Jones now and Santino Ferrucci and Pietro Fittipaldi and what uh, Zachary Clemato, as Robin called him. And I, th- maybe Connor. I don't even, I mean, yeah, that might be a fun podcast. Sebastian Bourdais. I'm going to give you one French fry for every teammate you can mention in your Two and a half, two and three quarters years with Dale coin racing. First of all, he'd say, You're the fat guy, so you just go ahead and keep the french fry. But I, yeah, I think even he might struggle. He might forget one or two. Um, I know I can't. I'm struggling to keep track of them. Um, but yeah, I think you're onto something here, William. And yeah, that would be interesting. But as I mentioned before, it turns out young Santino Frucci might not have done himself any favors by mentioning he was not indeed signed up for next year um okay all right getting down to the last couple here luckily they're at the bottom of the page too Dean Ackerman Marshall with all my listening your podcasts on YouTube something I find very strange but I'm glad it's there and you'll like it he says that that tech giant recommended a videocast from some dude named David Land. I've never heard of him, but he tossed out quite an unbelievable silly season rumor about Elio Castroneves seemingly really desperate to return to the NTT IndyCar series. Uh, let's see. He says it might've been due to the Alexander Rossi to team Penske rumors. And now that Rossi is resigned, it can be totally denied by Elio. The rumor was Elio just can't warm up to IMSA uh, or two possible fourth car for Rossi would have meant his quest for a fourth Indy 500 would be over unless he found a new team. Says I know AJ Floyd racing wouldn't seem like the place for a three time Indy 500 winner to head to. But had you or Robin Miller heard this possible 2020 scenario, thanks. Well, Dean, I believe this David Land person you've mentioned, and I do think I'm, I genuinely believe I might've seen about one minute, maybe two minutes of something that he posted probably a year or two ago on YouTube. Some kind of, I don't, again, I don't remember the exact context, but yes, uh, someone who is not a reporter. is not a member of the media, uh, is a fan, which is awesome. Uh, does fan videos, as I understand. I know in and around the 8500 this year, there was some mildly amusing thing on Twitter uh, where Joey Barnes, who is an IndyCar reporter, um, was taking heat, I think, for giving... I don't remember the whole scenario. I frankly, and I cover your ears, I don't give a shit. Um, (laughs) And I'm not saying that just because it's 12 after 12. Like, to me, there's a really simple line there's a a line drawn in what i do and it's if you're here and you're in it and you're contributing to it then you're part of the family and if you're not then you're not doesn't mean you're a bad person just means i love basketball truly i mean outside of motor racing basketball is my biggest passion I know a lot about it going back decades, back to the ABA, grew up loving it. I could post videos about it saying, hey, you know, boy, I read this thing and I heard that this player might go here, right? I'd be a fan. (laughs) Nothing more. I'm not on the inside of the NBA. I got nothing to offer. I might, hey, I might even, I got to admit, I do know a couple people who know a couple people, right? Right. Uh, But ultimately, I'm a fan. So, you know, it's awesome. Fan videos are great. My wife watches a lot of them for a variety of TV shows or WWE. I mean, it's just fun. It's amusing. That's awesome. Not part of the community or family, but that's not a bad thing. Just let's understand that, you know, someone in this case, Dean, saying that they heard this or that or the other. Um, I know I was the first to mention this because the person who told me, who had the communications with Elio, said, I haven't told anybody about this. And I know Elio hasn't told anybody about this. So, you know, someone, a fan of motor racing, a fan of IndyCar racing, doing videos, talking about things and regurgitating things that they read and heard, that's what a lot, I mean what thousands of people do that every day i don't know i I was tempted to say millions i don't spend that much time on youtube but it's pretty normal like seriously hey i'm a fan of this thing tv music sports whatever and folks talk about it it's cool just you know ultimately you're digesting the things that other the work other people have done and then regurgitating it and there you go so yeah um not totally crazy elio has wanted to come back to indycar elio was not ready to leave it was the best offer he was given to go to sports cars he's done it he's there i have to check i believe all the full-time drivers are coming back next year which would be the third and final year of penske's first contract with acura with honda performance development so If a prime seat opened up for Elio, would he jump back in? Yes. Looking at A.J. Foyt Racing, which has been an embarrassment, and his dear friend Tony Kanaan is there doing his best to not hate life from a competitive standpoint. I mean, I would have to kick Elio in the balls and just slap him upside the head to get some sense going if he was thinking of going there if that opportunity was presented not because the Foyt people are bad not because they won't be headed towards a brighter future but that ain't it <laughs> there's living breathing proof from tony Kanon every race that ain't it so yeah i wouldn't link anything dean to rossi maybe going there to penske and elio then Scrambling around to try and find something in case he were to lose. No. Elio just really wants to be an car driver. He doesn't feel like it's finished business. Simple as that. And it's true. Let's see. Where else should we go? Richard Parsons. Hi, Marshall. Two questions this week. If Hinch does stay at Arrow... Spam next season. How do you see this affecting the Honda Canada sponsorship of the Toronto event? I went this year and it was amazing, uh, with a lot of it due to their activation and fan interaction. Uh, You know, I don't think it would have any involvement knowing that the Honda Canada Indy Honda Indy Canada. I mean, that is just corporate sponsorship. Obviously it makes sense with Hinch, uh, I hear he might be Canadian. Um, Kidding aside, do I think they would stop sponsoring the event because Hinch wasn't a member of their family? No. But knowing, how's this? It's hard to say if and what value Honda might see in sponsoring that event or others. That seems to be a a frequently moving target. And so I, I would definitely say that Hinch not being in the Honda family would maybe make it easier for them to rethink it, but I don't think that alone would cause them to say no. Let's see. This is a really good second question here, Richard with the move to hybrids in 22 and on the assumption they'll be used in ovals as well as road and street courses. Do you think extra safety will need to be built into the tracks themselves with the extra weight the systems will bring? says thanks for a great show it's kind of you to say richard i i can't really think of anything that would make me say circuits need to be altered to handle hybrids here um i realize we haven't seen a lot of them but if we think about sebring well we've had hybrid prototypes running there at crazy speed circuit of the americas we have seen the same thing Obviously, F1 coming to Kota, we've seen that there. So while we haven't had a ton of hybrids, um, we have seen all electric in the form of Formula E coming here at Long Beach. We have New York now. Um, they've been up in Canada. Other than training with the emergency response folks, can't really think of anything that would need to change on the track side. Honestly, Richard. Let's close with Ray Schumann. I'm glad you sent this in. You're the last question here, Ray, not only of the episode, but the genuine last question sent in. It says two things. This was in the news today. It says, quote, if I had a dollar more to invest, would I spend it on a hybrid or would I spend it on the answer to what we all know is going to happen and get there faster and better than anybody else, end quote, which is attributed to GM President Mark Royce. Uh, Ray goes on to say, he was saying that GM would not invest in hybrid vehicles. So what does that mean for Chevy with IndyCar's hybrid announcement? Yeah, boy, that's a good one. Ray knowing that the timing conflicts, doesn't it? So Mark Royce being a very influential and powerful voice within the organization. Interesting to see what he has to say here as IndyCar still has a couple years until they get to the hybrid destination. Chevrolet, I believe, believe, will be there for it. This is, at times, a series that has asked its manufacturers to do things that might not always fit exactly what they want. if this is the thing that does bring the third manufacturer and hopefully fourth that then allows Chevy to not have to cover half the field and in theory allows them to significantly reduce their budget. I'm guessing this is something that a Mark Royce can overlook and not get in the way of for what he's saying though. He's spot on. We've had hybrids now for what? 20 years. We've had this combo electric internal combustion in, c- combustion engine road vehicle package for a while now. It's not coming to an end, but I think we're seeing just a greater shift from, hey, instead of hybrid, two motors, one fossil fuel, the other one electric, why don't we shift more towards the electric, if not completely electric? Or how, how's this? I wouldn't even say commit 100% to electric, just not internal combustion engine. That's what I interpret Mark's final statement here. Would I spend it on the answer that we all know is going to happen and get there faster and better than anybody else? This might be the area for IndyCar to noodle on. I know that, again, today, well, it's now August 14th, 2019, I know that we have the, this announcement of a hybrid system coming. I'm sorry, not a hybrid system. An electric system of some form that will make Indy cars hybrids in 2022. We have this announcement. We don't have the announcement as to what it will be. Is it battery-based? Is it mechanical? Is it supercapacitor? Who knows? um what is it going to end up being even if there was a statement today saying this is what it's going to be there could obviously be a lot of adjustment between now and then what will be fascinating to follow can't even say ray if this would be in the public domain or if this would be behind the scenes but there's a lot of time between now and this coming to life could chevrolet say hey you know what we really would like to stay in indycar but it's now 2021 and you know we're still a year away and we've seen boy hybrids throughout the industry are just dropping off more and more so do we want to maybe rethink this a little bit and say should it be something slightly different the i won't get into this too much right now actually i won't get into it pretty much at all but I wouldn't say that hybrids were this hybrid thing was necessarily IndyCar's first choice. I think it was the most widely recognized choice to make. Hey, okay. We all know what a hybrid is. We know electrification of some sorts with the thing using fossil fuel. Everyone gets that makes sense. There's no fear in it. Wow. How is it? What is it? Who's going to make it? What is this thing? We're going to have to blaze new trails going to cost a zillion trillion dollars to create this thing it makes sense but i do wonder knowing that one of indycar's two pillars among their engine suppliers the president has just said hey yeah eh, if you thought internal combustion engines were old-timey we're now kind of sort of seeing the concept of adding an electric motor to internal combustion engines it's kind of old-timey. We're turning a page here, and it's, we're going as full electric as we can, and who knows? Is it hydrogen? Again, lots of unknowns as to what the future is going to be, but Royce really does seem to be saying the thing that we've all known. Hybrids are not the solution of the future. They're the solution of today. This is somebody at a giant auto manufacturer that happens to be heavily connected with IndyCar saying we're kind of throwing a vote of no confidence behind it now. Another quick angle to mention here, Chevrolet through Cadillac is involved in IMSA's DPI category that will be going hybrid as well in 22. So could this be <laughs> a, a problem on two frontiers? Definitely going to be interesting to see. Will be interesting as well to see, Ray, if IndyCar and IMSA possibly acquiesce a little bit. All right. So if we're going to keep you, what are you thinking? Um, What's the thing that would make this more attractive? Not exactly sure. But I do believe we're going to go from, oh, it's a thing. It's a done deal to, oh, yeah, (laughs) maybe it's not. (laughs) Hey, Mark, can we sit down and talk? Because, yeah, if you say no, then, boy, we're really screwed. Uh, Let's see. What else? All right, we're going to close here with Mark's second question. He says, I agree with you that it would be a mistake to make the steering wheel and dash electronics spec with a new car. If the hybrid hardware is going to be spec, what about the system integration part of the hybrid system. That is an opportunity for manufacturers to differentiate, differentiate themselves. And I think would be a mistake if that too was a spec component, your thoughts. I agree, Ray, completely agree. Only thing that comes to mind though, is it might be in that fear thing. What? Who? We, we're not just getting that. Like we got to go find people, make a relationship and we might make the wrong one and someone could make the right one. And We could be at a disadvantage. I just don't know if teams or manufacturers have the stomach for that in IndyCar. It's the way it used to be. It's not the way it is today. So I love that idea. Seems a little nuanced more than just, oh, hey, maybe I could go talk to a Samsung, a Google, a Sony, a whomever to do some sort of Data and display, and I mean, those are things that seem more tangible, but I'm with you. I'll just say I'm with you, man. Let's just make the whole thing up to teams to go find partners to make it happen because I gotta believe they're gonna get rich doing it, richer than they are right now. And speaking of rich, thank you for your questions, thank you for the time you take each week to send in pages upon pages. Upon pages. And I, th- yes, so this is only 60 minutes long. <laughs> Just ignore the total length of the episode when you look at it. But trust me, it's only 60 minutes. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, all right, we got Pocono this weekend. I'm going to be down in Monterey. I'm going to record Pocono and do my best to stay connected so that I can have an intelligent conversation next week and ask for you to send in questions uh yeah um i'm determined maybe you all got some ideas for me on how to try and keep the q a section closer to 60 minutes it's not that i don't want to answer your questions obviously i am i want to answer them just wondering if there are ways that you can think of for us to keep this closer to 60 minutes or less because i'm running out of ideas and i've trimmed a lot of questions There's a number that I haven't got to some of them repetitive, meaning other, not that your question is bad, but was sent in on the same theme by a number of people. So consolidated that into one answer, but even so we're here at, oh boy, hour 50. And yeah, if I answered all of them, this would be three hours at least. So if you have ideas, if you're still here, if you're still listening, first of all, you're amazing um don't be afraid to share those with me if you don't want to say it publicly dm me facebook the good old tweeters whatever my email address it's not a not a secret it's really simple marshall at marshallpruitt.com uh give me some ideas i'm struggling i bought the timer you know I, i got it um i didn't even use it tonight but any insight would be greatly appreciated and with that said it's 1229. I am going to bid farewell by saying thank you to Cooper tires, justice brothers, Toronto Motorsports.com. Be sure to like your favorite question so we can pick who's going to win for the second week and also to bell racing helmets, USA. And in the non blowingest of smoke, thanks to you. All right. So I don't know how else to say this, Even if it sounds stupid and cheesy, I do this for you. Like I, you know, doing this for you, uh, because I enjoy it and you guys give me great stuff. So when I say I do it for you, this is an exchange. You guys feed great stuff. I do my best to try and hopefully give you something that is informational or entertaining, not completely stupid, even though I fail at that sometimes. So thank you for that thank you so much for giving me something fun to do each week that especially in recent months it's been a really good way to shift my brain into something that I really love and brings me joy with all that said I am Marshall Pruitt this is the Marshall Pruitt podcast and our week in IndyCar series and I'll speak to you next week